0: welcome to the <laughs> nameless and aimless podcast once again thank you yeah it's been uh it's been nary two
1: months here it's been too
0: long charlie two months too long two months too long it's uh mm. mm-hmm. well i mean first i mean there's there's a little buzz because the connection isn't great but i i i know the perfect way for us to start this episode what is that? The Glory mm. Days.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because, you know, it's uh, a... <laughs> Pastor Bill. Oh, once again, uh, I am Charlie Barrio. Yeah. And with me, as always, is the wonderful Pastor Bill. Yeah. And, you know,
1: that yeah. right by you. <laughs> Maybe you look like a fool. Just think about this song. just oh, put you right back in those glory days. Mm. It's ironic watching this... 30
0: year old music video with bruce springsteen where he looks like he's 20 and a half yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh uh-huh. so what would you say were your glory days?
2: Ooh.
0: you know because wow, before we turn the mics question. on we were talking about uh you know i'm playing you know. in my high school reunion And, uh, you know, there's a lot of the things about high school that come up. One
1: of the things he said is, you know, high school is kind of meant to be forgotten. I think so. I I don't know if you do, but I feel that way. Yeah, I mean, okay, so uh, I mentioned that song about, you know, with Bruce Springsteen, what he was talking about there, all the glory days. And I think I had one experience when I had gone back to my hometown after uh, high school. I bumped into a buddy of mine, and we did literally go to a bar and play pool. And of course, you know, I was old enough to drink at the, I mean, I, I wasn't the perfect teenager. I drank oh before boy. it was legal. Oh. Okay, So this was our first just time. Just communion wine, right? Just communion wine, though. <laughs> just in larger quantities than a sip. But we used to, this was the first time we could actually go in and do it legally together. And, uh, you know, when we got done that night, I went home and I thought, yeah, I'm never going to do that again. Mm. I, <laughs> it just was, <laughs> there was nothing glory, uh, glory driven about that. So I don't even know how to answer your question. Oh. What, you know what you are don't these? have any glory days? I don't know. Not I mean, even like when you were when you just got into there are, seminary? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are things I remember from high school that were certainly good. Uh,
0: I'm not saying your glory days have to, have be, to high be high school.
1: Right, I'm just trying to think. So then beyond that, you know, when I'm going into college, I mean, my life just became very tumultuous. I think getting getting married and in my life, that was kind of the beginning of, uh, I think, for me, some glory days because I, I started uh. making... Oh stop it! <laughs> I started making other memories. Let's just put it that way, uh, and um, and it was good, you know. So now looking back over the the last twenty years, uh, being married, yeah, those are probably more of my glory days hmm. buried in there somewhere. I can't remember them all.
0: So do you think maybe that the glory days come from when you're starting something new, something's exciting, there's still hope ahead, yeah. and you, it's more or less the excitement of the potential than actually it being anything glorious. Oh my god, in itself. that's
1: profound. That is way more profound than I was even thinking. But yes. Well Charlie, I think that's exactly what it is. So maybe that's what high school is for people? Maybe it's um you know it's the newness of something. Uh, yeah. maybe that's where you get kind of catapulted. I, I don't you think though that some people just never leave high school? Oh yeah. I mean that that's I think that's always the struggle with, with kids
0: who are popular and I mean at the very least uh, are good at sports only mm-hmm. is because I mean, that's I mean, you're a big fish in a small, small, small pond, mm-hmm. and especially as a kid, like it's really easy to lose sight of that. It was like, no, my dad went to um, uh, Southeastern Louisiana Tech for baseball, they're gonna be scouting me, <laughs> and then they don't scout you. Oh, no, they don't, and then you have to frantically, uh, you know, take a job at the foundry and
1: figure things out, and then hopefully yeah. become a cop. Yeah, and I think you know, even in Springsteen's song, that's kind of what happens, right? I mean, mm. Those guys are... So he's saying, oh, this guy could throw the speedball by, and they talk about it, but at the end of the day, they still got their jobs, and they just have to go on living life. It's not like he's playing in the big leagues anywhere. That's, and, and even if he was, like, I know. It, what meaning would
0: it have? It's, yeah. it's I don't know, we put so much emphasis on the cake and circus, and I think... We, all of our conversations always end up kind of coming back to this, but uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's our value systems are so strange, or at least the ones in commercial media that, yeah I don't know, we all just kind of, or that, especially as kids um, that everyone just kind of has to copy
1: because that's just what I think you're programmed to think. And it's a value so too. So what about you though? I mean, you asked me about my glory days. Oh, so God did you have some it. actual glory days?
0: Um, let me see. I would say actually, even though I mean, this is like it was like like a Dickens novel. It's the best of times, and it was the worst of yeah, times. Yeah, Is when I moved out to Arizona when I was nineteen, all by myself. I was gonna be a musician. I was gonna be a songwriter. And uh, I don't know. I I just the idea of Arizona and Phoenix had yeah. always been intriguing to me when I you know, growing up, and, uh, you know, I'd made it happen, and it turns out that with no support system or really any plan, a 19-year-old is not really fit to survive in a huge city like that where rent is really expensive.
1: It is very expensive out there.
0: So uh it, I had quite the glory days, and, and just a lot of opportunity to grow as a person because Because I didn't have that support system, so it's like I—I mean, I did things I wouldn't have done. Like I, kind of, I—I tried weed, got a little too into it. Yeah. Um, But
1: but you almost have to. I mean, in some ways, right? I mean, you can try that stuff and then. I mean it doesn't you don't know, you know what I'm going to backtrack on that a little bit you don't have <laughs> Come to Come on try. kids you have to <laughs> yeah. Suddenly our youth group is going to explode <laughs> uh, but you don't have to try that stuff but it but it but even those it teaches you something yeah. right about yourself
0: Well cuz I like in high school you know I was uh I was believing that I was a very diehard Christian in just the I'm keeping my temple pure Sure yeah. And like I always judge kind of the people moralistic... judge the people who ever drank or did whatever even yeah. though my would, mom's and entire... not have been friends then in high
1: school <laughs> we would have been very different people but
2: hmm.
0: um but then yeah when I went out there and there just wasn't the same thing around and I guess like I uh before I left I would kind of gone to parties and like had drinks here and there and it was, like I was still like uncomfortable but I was like All right. but then when I was out there <laughs> and I was just new to it everybody it I don't, I don't want to say like i threw my identity away but i was able to actually just try things without because they didn't have the memory of me wearing a shirt that said virginity rocks <laughs> <laughs> and now i have that memory apparently it's uh <laughs> i've tried to delete every <laughs> um and, and so because of that freedom i was able to do things that i wouldn't otherwise but yeah. on the flip side of that it really just kind of turned into uh pretty cut and paste prodigal son story because yeah. <laughs> everything fell apart i got really depressed and had to come back and
1: complete failure so but i i don't know i think that's a cool story just because you do have then you've got some sign of that support system that you had right? yeah you know and whether it's family or friends back at home or however that worked out for you uh so i mean certainly some glory days you know maybe that's what that song really is talking about is the lessons that those glory days get. i don't know You know what? uh, Maybe I'm reading too much into Bruce Springsteen, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he is Americana personified. (laughs) He was like my favorite musician when I was a kid. And it was all because I loved Born in the USA so much because it didn't talk about love. (sighs) Oh, fair enough. You know, where all these songs, it was all love songs all the time. Well, it still kind of is, I guess. Uh, Now they just whine a lot more, but... Why don't you love... There's literally... All all... the guys, they all sing in falsetto and it's always about... She's there, and she's looking at me in my heart. Ah, it just—it's constantly my, like on the verge of friends are telling me to put the phone away. I, I can't stop texting her, mate. But, so I'm not the only one noticing this. Then, oh there, god, I mean, it's this, awful. this is like a thing that's. And I, 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 have just given up listening to the radio. I, I now, I solely subscribe to Spotify. Wow, I will, there Ten years ago. <laughs> oh, I know, but I mean, like, I, I will only listen to songs that I know anymore because other stuff is just—it's just not even. I, Maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this. I just don't even think it's actual music. No. Like there's, there's no or At the very effort. least, it's not art. There you it's, go. It's not, it's not there it's to like inspire It's like it's formulaic. You. Oh, you know, absolutely. There's, there's so much that's just built into that. And where I think like Bruce Springsteen, you know, I was listening to, and this is getting way off track, I know now, but. Um, hey, it's Nameless aimless. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but what, there was a song that he had actually written. Um, oh my gosh, now I'm forgetting it. But I couldn't believe that he was the writer. But then it was another group singing it. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that Springsteen actually wrote songs. And this was back maybe in the 70s, you know, so it was an older song. And the song made no sense. Blinded by the Light. That's what it is. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Looked up. Looked Yeah. But who's singing? Oh, in the name of the band. Uh, oh, it's going to drive
0: me nuts. I will give you until I search it. Oh.
1: Well, for some stupid reason, Mannheim Steamroller keeps coming into my mind, even though I know it's not them. That sounds
0: like a sex act.
1: <laughs> 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 but that's uh, there. There must be something. Oh, oh, oh! You're not going to guess it. Give me, give me
0: one hint. Um, it looks like Chuck Mangione's in it. Oh. That it, it's
1: not Chuck Mangione, though. Obviously, yeah. I cannot think of who it is. Um, think. Man, and it's like their only hit. It was their only song I think that actually came out that meant anything to anybody. I'm trying to think of like something that would be even kind of like a password
0: kind of clue. Uh nah. Uh nah. think uh
1: girlfriend girl. Manfred uh wait. Uh Manfred <laughs> <Girl. laughs> man, man. Man, no, anyway, what is it, Manfred? That-
0: Come on, you're so close. No,
1: just what is it?
0: Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Oh, yeah,
1: something. But I think that might have been their only real hit. You know, I, this is the first in time the I've ever that, even heard their yeah, name. Springsteen. I, I was one day on Spotify just tooling around, and I'm looking at this. You know, I was listening to the song, and and uh, you can read more about the lyrics or whatever's going on. And I see Springsteen wrote. I went, what? Hmm. You well, know, this is the same guy that wrote Born in the USA. So I've, li- but as I've been listening to his music now, I listen with a whole different ear. That he actually might be. I'm uh, just a real artist you know he yeah. he had more going for him than just singing about being born in the USA or about the glory days or about pink Cadillacs or about whatever um, you know so he really was kind of in his own way an artist and I think a lot of the bands that came out of that 60s 70s oh my god you know, that rock era they really were and my dad used to listen to tons of that stuff when I was a kid and I hated it I mean I would have just as soon plucked my eye out with a spoon and sitting in the truck with him listening to this music and uh, now that I'm older, I listen to it because mm-hmm. it's like the only stuff I can go back to that I go, oh, this is actually musically complicated. There's a lot of different, you know, the, the way the melodies work together, the harmony or the harmonies work together, the different instruments, some of the, I don't know. I sent you those Esperanza Spalding tracks. Those were pretty. Like, like there still you know, is music there, alive today. There it's is, just not,
0: but it's not in mainstream, right? Not at all. Which is, I don't know, maybe that's because you you. You were a techie at one point, right? Yeah.
1: I mean before I stopped.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Cuz to me that I guess that's when I started breaking away from the commercial, from the man, man. And like even even though I was just, you know, in a small town like we would be able to go to the mall once or twice a year. Oh wow. And they had two different record store or like oh, music yeah. stores there with just yeah. just CDs. Right. Hot Topic and FYE. Which is like I look at it now, it's like uh. <laughs> yeah. But it was amazing because you just go in and like half the time just it was just looking like at it. Oh, oh. The, the name of that band sounds good. And then you just stumble across something that was great.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I miss that so much. I do too. And it's just I mean, there's no reason to do it now because it you just get caught in a pigeonhole one way or the other yep. and and everything is so accessible, like it's not special
1: anymore. Right. And it is and even with uh, different apps like Spotify. You know, the minute you listen to one type of song, something like, "Oh, well, you must really love this." I'm like, "No, I, I, just because I happen I, to I listen love... to a, a Bruno Mars song by accident does not mean I want to listen to Katy Perry or anybody else for that matter under that type of genre." You know, I'm like, "I just it happened to stumble into my playlist somehow." And I
2: miss,
0: oh. I miss double pressing repeat
1: on the CD player
0: because yes. I knew I was going to listen to the album more than once, <laughs> over
2: and over. Oh.
1: I do miss, you know not what you're saying? I do miss that. I miss, we used to have Camelot music was a big one um, and uh, oh man, I miss just walking into the stores and the CDs, they always came in those big plastic so that they were yeah. like, they were like, you know, probably about a foot and a half high <laughs> but the CD itself was always at the top so you could, you know, just kind of thumb through the different mm-hmm. things and then you look at the back art and the cover and it reminds me of what I think our, our, You know, our parents would have if they were listening to vinyl on record. Oh, yeah. My dad always said half of it was about the artwork, that it was just... I mean, the the record might have been so-so, but that didn't really matter. You'd sit there and listen to it while you were looking at these pictures,
0: you know. Mm -hmm. Well, and and even... Because with the vinyl, you have that limitation of, of the two sides. So it's like they would time things out. They would, like... The album would reach a certain crescendo and like come down just enough. That's right. So that you want to listen more and you flip the other side and it's like still this full experience because it was made to be listened to as a
1: whole work of art, not just some disposable things so you don't have to think thoughts. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I do remember too, even CDs, some of them anyway had like an A side and a B side. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd start doing that after a while too, but. So they put some of their B tracks on the other side and things. And, and some of those were good. And some of them was just like, eh, it was just kind of cool. You felt like you were listening to the band, yeah. you know, just tooling around in the shed or something like that. And, yeah, nowadays, everything yeah. has to be perfect. And I, I know it sounds like we're old and that we're just curmudgeon or no, something. But
0: I think we're right. Like It's just gone. It's one of those things where it's like you don't know what you're missing if you, if you grew up now. And I yeah. think, like, I don't feel like dubstep or like 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 because even old school electronica was cool yeah uh it was cutting edge you know it was right on the on the cusp yeah there's not dubstep and and like all of that it's just because there's noise all of the time yeah this is just different noise
1: that sounds cooler and it i don't know i i I am mm. very concerned. Some of the, um, I think maybe the last actual radio I listened to was back when a band called Fun was still kind of popular. Hey, that lead um, singer was best friends with one of my friends from Phoenix. Really? Yeah.
2: Ooh. <laughs> I was sure I was going to ride those coattails.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the, they, they, um, I'm not saying that I loved the music, but I could actually tolerate it. My kids enjoyed it at the Mm -hmm. time when they were growing up. And I was like, oh, this is kind of wholesome and nice. You know, it's not really, I mean, there's not a lot of edginess to it, but you could also get a sense of the swell of the music. It had something that you could, there was like this, it was almost like they were sitting around a campfire in some way. Yeah. You know, and it was, so it had this kind of feel to it, like a folksy feel without it being folk music. Yeah, yeah, they always, they always did like the, a lot of voices.
0: So it's just like, I, I want to sing a lot. And, and
1: they didn't do auto tuning, which was great. Yeah. Um, which apparently now every song has pretty much got some sense of auto tuning in it too. I don't Cause, know. Because they don't take the time to, like, oh, go back, listen to a Carol King album, and it's like, ooh. it's
0: so warm and crisp yes. and like human. And it's like the songs are still kind of about love, but it's like, and the thing for me that I miss most dearly is just actual poetry and yeah. expression yeah and i mean even carol King. i mean she wrote pretty simple songs but but in a dynamic way that, yeah. that like you'd be able to um relate to and like don mcclain uh, another
1: one right he's an idol for me okay so the, that's another song oh thinking about american pie okay? yeah so uh as i just listen to that i don't know how what road trip i was on with my family i listened to the whole you know seven minutes of the song or whatever it was Dude, yeah. and i actually paid attention to what was going on in the song and i said it's it's almost like he's a genius
0: it's a work of literature it like,
1: is it was a, it totally is like it, it's not even so much a song i was just sitting there listening to this story but i was wrapped up in it mm-hmm. and i couldn't even tell you why but then of course the chorus comes up and what do you start doing Hi. you're belting it out yeah, i mean so it's almost like he knew exactly when to get that injected into I, I don't know that, that was part of it so because cool. he,
0: he like because he's referencing all these things about pop culture, yeah, and it showed that he understood pop culture so well that he got people to listen to a nine-minute song, yeah. Um, and I remember when at UW or at the university in one of my English classes, I forget the name of the form, but it was it was a type of poem in medieval England, and it was exactly the same form. <laughs> That's what he did, telling the story of like the. The peak of American capitalism, the quote unquote, the American dream, falling apart yeah. after Buddy Holly died. Like, yeah. I don't know. He he really was a genius. And like, has the song uh, Vincent, where he's... I, remember, I don't
1: know. See, I don't know anything beyond. Uh, a starry, starry night. Yeah. I'd Paint have to... Sure. Oh, dude. I was going to you have to look it up um, here. Is it the same kind of thing, though? Is that what... It, I mean, is he really just the same kind of lyrical... Well, no.
0: Storytelling? No, but it was like, uh, I guess in a way, it's like he's writing a poem to Vincent Van Gogh. It's like a love, or I guess you could call it a love story, but not romantic, obviously. And so it's, uh, you know, Starry, Starry Night. Van Gogh painted that when he was in the insane asylum. He hadn't seen the night sky in a long time. And he painted that and then shortly after killed himself. Mm. Um, Okay. And so he writes this song where it's just all about the artist and how, like... uh, thing is uh, they could not love you they did not know how perhaps they'll listen now um and the sheet music of it is actually uh in a time capsule that's underneath the, the van gogh museum hmm. and like it it's it's just such a beautiful piece of humanity yeah and it, it ends with uh, um, they they could not love you they could not listen they're not listening still Perhaps so it, they never will. So it's such a saying, like, that you... That same commentary. You were too beautiful for yeah. us, and all the people who are too beautiful for us are the ones who yeah. end up being, suffering and killing themselves. Like, it... I,
1: I don't, don't know. pretty cool. It's, it's on that same album, American Pie. I had a, <laughs> I had a similar kind of transcendent experience with um, Mumford & Sons, believe it or not. <laughs> Their first album... Uh, and um, they had a whole different sound. I don't know what they decided to do after that. It was, it was just, it went downhill very quickly, at least for me. Yeah, no, me too. Um, I, I thought that was great when they had the driving, you know, the banjo type sound with uh, mixed in with, uh, I don't know if they had mandolin or whatever. But, I mean, they just they drove the music. It was really good. But I said if you listen to the whole album, it was, um, I can't say for certain that they did this, right? This is me putting my mm-hmm. pastoral type piece on it. But there is a sense of the loss of, of humanity throughout the beginning part of the album and, and almost like a crying out and a yearning to get back to where we were. So even their song, The Cave, where they talk about oh, yeah. coming out. And, yeah, yeah the, probably their most popular one. Um, but they, Oh, Little Lion Man's the most popular, baby. Yeah, I didn't realize. It, of course, I had my, my kids were younger, and I'm listening to that song, and then there's that big F-bomb right in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ooh, sorry, kids but uh so why we don't listen to Englishmen <laughs> when he talks about coming out uh, you know of this cave and upside down and seeing the world in a different way and and uh, so on and and i thought well, that's kind of interesting you know and talking uh especially in a, in a spiritual sense you know and trying to see things but then there's also this uh song called i want to say it's uh white page or white some Sun- page i can hear it in my head but yeah kind of vaguely and um you know what? And that one—it's almost like the genesis of humanity, right—the beginning of humanity. And I've—I've I've given all of this to you, and all I've asked is that you love me back. And yet, you love this woman instead. You know, and that, mm. that speaks to the, again, you know, the Adam and Eve. You know, the the the, the genesis of—you've put all this effort into her, and now look—all these things that I've given to you, I have to take away. You know, and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Then they screwed up their sound, and I never followed them after that. <laughs> so I, but I was like, well, this is really – I just thought they were trying something. And I could be very, very wrong, obviously, in this, and I probably am. Um, if they'd like to contact me, that'd be great. But, I would say uh, you,
0: you might not be off the mark because like they, they they were playing together for a long time before they hit it big. So by the yeah. time they get to that point, I mean, that's 10, 15 years of work and polishing. That made that one album, and that's oh, why it was great. Oh, it was an awesome
1: one. And then two years later, whatever that Babylon thing was, it's like, man, they're done. All right, guys, <laughs> we need a tour. Come on, I need an album out here. That's pretty much what it was. What am I going to have to clip your balls again? <laughs> the Killers did the same thing. Uh, the Killers, yeah, their first album
0: was oh, great. I
1: listened to that. I probably that was one of the first albums I think I listened to on like digital media, right? Oh, so uh, I just, yeah, I had it on an, in an on an old iPod. Um, and it's where they had the scroll wheel, the clickety, when yes. you were doing all that stuff. Oh my God, and I would was so put that. Oh, it was very <laughs> inconvenient. But I'd put that thing on repeat and I would just listen to mm-hmm. that album, uh, Mr. Brightside, all those types. And I thought Smile oh, Like cool. You Mean It was always my oh, favorite one. Another good one. I love that song. Then their second album hits. I don't remember what it was called. And I was like, hey, this can't be the same group. You know, and you're looking at it going, what, wait, how did they. How, uh? And then they keep with that sound. You know, and then they just disappear into the ether of whatever happens to musicians that have decided to try to change, you know, and they just kind of, at least in my mind, they kind of vaporize. They're gone. Mm-hmm. And I, I just never understand that. Why can't artists just stick with you know, that sound that makes them, and maybe that's part of being an artist, though, by the way, um, you know, even a painter or something, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're always being pressured to be somebody that you're actually not. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. So, you know, Mumford and Sons, maybe they needed to become something else just because they were gonna drive themselves nuts if they didn't.
0: I don't know. Well and maybe it was just playing in bars and and like having small shows that like made like that's what made their music good
1: and heartfelt and then all of a sudden they can't go anywhere without They gotta change this, right? You know, and and they've got some you know, whole music studio telling them how to do it basically.
0: Which yeah. you know, I'll come back to Don McLean. Yeah, one of one of the great things about him is because he had that hit, and then Starry Starry Night like kind of got up there, but a lot of people hated it, and then he just fell off the map. And so it's like you watch interviews of him. I mean, he has twenty studio albums, and it's like That's a lot. You listen to it, and it's just like like he's not trying because he he made his money. Yeah. And so now he can just make just the music curious. he wants to make, and that's like that's all he ever wanted to do was just write songs. And like it, he he really is an inspiring story. Hmm.
1: Um, and it's just, he's just I don't know, really imaginative writer. Huh. Well, maybe we will have to bring some of that back in then. I mean, just to, I'll, I'll have to just check it out because I, like I said, I, I you hear certain things. and Of course, culture dictates what you hear in a certain way, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these were things that happened before you and I were alive, so you only catch that glimpse. From the storytellers of those generations to say, "Oh yeah, I remember this song and how important it was," and I, I but there was so much more. Right there, I think you nailed it on the head. The storytellers of the gen we don't have storytellers now. Maybe that's it. It's just—it's all commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. Um, it's money, 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 money. And I, I don't know. So there's so other... I guess I, I do
0: have my my own or I, my little pockets of artists that I've been able to find that do speak to me that I like are a guiding light. And I guess that does make me feel good, but it's just the fact that none of their songs are really ever going to be known by anybody else I'm,
1: unless I'm at their concert. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Which, by the way, if, um, so here's another one I want to ask you about because you might know more about this. Do you know anything about Tina Turner and Matt Turner? Sorry for knocking the mic. Do you know anything about that? I, I, I know the I name know, Tina Turner. That's Yeah, it. see, I was going to say, I know Tina Turner a little bit. Um... Nat Turner, I don't. Anyway, I was listening to the, the, well, I call Spotify the radio now. So I was listening to the radio <laughs> and, and uh, this song called Nutbush City Limits. Uh, it sounds so weird. I know, I know, I know. Got to kind of move past that part of it. Come it, Drizzle 96. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that, okay? Stay, stay above, right. PG, above PG, the line PG. here. But uh, it's Musically, there is so much going on in this song. It's got this whole southern feel to it, like Tina Turner's, you know, straight out of uh, one of the. I mean, you pick a southern state, so she's straight out of Georgia, whatever. So she's got that sound, and then you've got that whining. What is that instrument called? Where they've got like the antenna going up, and you use your hands, and it kind
2: of
1: depending on where your hands are located, uh, it's like you're messing with the, the with the electrical field of the instrument ah uh, i can't laugh steel nah, it's gotta i honestly sure that could be it you know because i can't remember what it's called I, I can see it in my mind but they use that instrument in this song and it's so strange because the song is all about a small town uh much like many other small towns that mm-hmm. you and i would know where you know you go to church on sunday you don't work on labor day or you go to picnics on labor day or something like that and um, you don't drink on certain days, and but then they go to the bars, and there's I don't know, but there's no bourbon. I it was just all this stuff packed into this one song, and I was like, This is like one of these genius type songs that I've never heard. Mm. And I don't know if she's famous or he's famous for that at all, I have no clue. Um, I know their relationship, there was something goofy, uh, I think he was abusive maybe towards Tina, and that that might be why we know Tina Turner, not so much him. You know, because he might have been the front man back in a time when you had to have a male as the main, and then you've got, well, Tina's the singer, but yeah. you know, it's like Johnny Cash and, okay, you know. I have to go to the bathroom. Why? <laughs> <laughs> boof, boof, boof. I think there was some of that, actually. <laughs> we might be getting a little close to home. Oh, uh, I'm so sorry, Tina. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, you know, but to go from something like that, and then all of a sudden she's, you know, doing these other songs about, what was it, the, the legs? She'd do the... But she's singing about something about legs. Was that ZZ Top that did? Oh, leg legs! Ready. <laughs> <laughs> Is that ZZ Top. And I don't even know anymore. Ooh. She's got legs. Meow. She knows. I think that's ZZ Top. And then, but I don't know what she was singing about. And then she did that whole uh, CCR cover, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Uh, big Mary, I think, was another one of her big, you know. Anyway, these are soaring over my head, baby. dude. I all this is. I'm I'm peeling things back from my childhood. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to remember what my parents were listening to. My mom Which, was a big Tina Turner fan. I mean fan. Creed,
0: Creedence Clearwater Revival. Like how powerful they were because that lead singer was in the Vietnam War, and they come yeah. back and they write songs about, yeah, protesting the Vietnam War. Yeah, you're not going to be a fortunate son, right? But how many? I, I know of one, Iraq veteran who came back and wrote songs about it and then he ended up committing suicide yeah uh and it's like like even there just like the social resonance and the connection to
1: what's actually going on I it's just it's just not there anymore and even and, and you're absolutely right so for CCR when you think about I mean I was a kid growing up in the ninety or 80s and 90s and they became a big influence in me in the early 90s and so that their music was still speaking to a mm-hmm. kid that they would have no idea you know and uh and I, I just remember jamming out to see. I, I, and I couldn't even tell you why. Yeah. And I really couldn't. Oh, it's rocking music. But thinking about Fortunate Son, that song in particular, um, you know, as I listen to it now, it just gives me chills, you know, and what they would have been experiencing the unfairness, the, you know, and, and watching who's getting drafted and who's not, mm-hmm. knowing that basically you're being drafted to go get killed. Yep. And, and that's the heartbreak of that particular, of the Vietnam well, of any war. Um, but I especially mean, especially the draft.
0: Can you even imagine? A song that was moderately critical, yeah, of war in general, like not even yeah. calling out the U.S. Like, yeah, I mean they would ban it from the you know, like a, that wouldn't get anywhere. But
1: that's such a good point. I mean, we've been in we've been locked in a war now for how many years? Uh, are we still uh, going at it? I, yes, I guess, officially. So right? I mean, we're
0: going on 19 in October, and
1: yet when was the last time we've heard a song talking about or any anybody uh, talking about it? Yeah. Our art doesn't Boy, do. It. The only art we get is the pro-war stuff. Yeah. Of or zero or dark thirty. Right. <laughs> well, that okay. I should have Toby yeah, Keith. All the and all the the movies that have come out that basically almost romanticize some of what our veterans are experiencing yep. overseas, making it sound like they're basically they're hero movies. You know, they're it's like a Marvel universe of its own. Yeah. Or
0: or or when they show the bad side, it's like, oh, he got a he's got PTSD. How are yeah. we going to yeah. deal with this? Yeah. And it's, I, I don't mean,
1: know. There's literal i mean there's there's really bad stuff going on yeah Um, it's like
0: we have so much blood on our hands
1: and i never thought about that though about the i mean you're right it's been such a long time so there's literally been a drought of songs or any really type we'll just let's just stick with that for a moment but to say you know for the last probably 20 30 years because you can go all the way back to desert storm and i think you know during desert storm i was young enough i remember we were singing I'm Proud to be an American. Oh, the God. They rolled it out sang. for oh, my 9-11. Gosh. Version and two. I'm
2: proud
1: to be an American, know, at I can... least I know I'm free. You know, and I can still hear that in my head yep. just resonating as we were standing in this, you know, at this uh, assembly, and we were singing to all the parents, and, you know, so that must have been the big, you know, maybe that was the big turn, but we haven't had anything that's been critical, or, 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 or even just... Um, Maybe honest. Yeah. It doesn't have to be critical. Yeah, just to be honest about what's, you know, what are what's really going on, Um, the protesting part of it. That's a, that's another good question. All the stuff that we do protest. Why have we stopped protesting the wars? Did we talk about this before? We might have. I feel like we got on that subject before. I, because uh, we protest. I mean, because it, it, right? it, I mean, it just... we protest. Uh, gender issues. We protest. I mean, whether somebody. Uh, I mean I don't know there's just so much we protest and we cuz there just wasn't
0: any action ever hmm. and I mean it's just been so long where I mean even the people who were protesting the Iraq war had every single one of their suspicions and their claims completely vindicated by evidence and Congress didn't do anything about it at all except Obama pulled the troops out only to put them back in later. Yeah. Uh and so but it's like the fundamental question that they were protesting is those people do it is not our right to impose ways of life on other people right. because that's not freedom but yeah. uh, like i don't know and it's like if you want to the whole reason we have international law is so that we don't have to resort to war so that when russia or china or you know whoever does something we can take economic action that everybody agrees with and we're not stepping on everybody's toes but it's like to just completely disregard that for convenience, I guess. Yeah. Um. Or as is documented, profit, personal profit. And I don't know. There were people in the streets then. Uh. And then they passed laws that they can seize U.S. citizens and put them in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's – I remember Green Day American Idiot. They were kind of critical of just – The propaganda of things, but it was Green Day.
1: No, I know, know, I'm telling you, that was
0: it was an intelligent album at at the time, but that's the problem, is that, yeah,
1: I mean, just they they just couldn't be taken seriously. In a, in a, in a, I mean, John Fogarty could be taken seriously, that was that's yeah, 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 he had credibility, right? He had credibility. Billy, what's his name, Billy Joe Armstrong Armstrong. You know, I love their music. I, I I bought their first album when I was a kid. You know, I loved that that Green Day, that three-man drive kind of thing. But you just couldn't take it seriously, um, sadly, I think, in the wider world.
0: As a teen, I could, because I guess... Maybe as a teen, This yeah. is, like, anticipated, because that was, like, kind of the first uh, counterculture that I was exposed
1: to. And it's like, yeah. I think
0: early Green Day stuff was kind of that, too. It still, it was, yeah. But... I don't know, and that helped open wider doors for yeah. me. I guess now that I think about anti-flag, they had a lot of protest songs, but it's like they never make the radio, right? They make Warp Tour, <laughs> uh,
1: well, but here. they didn't make the radio.
0: Here's Jacob George. He was uh, who's Jacob George? He was an Iraq veteran, um, or no, he's an Afghanistan veteran. But then he came back and he helped lead an organization called uh, Iraq Veterans Against the War. Okay, they protested. One of his high, highlight moments that he kind of made the news for was uh, there was like a G20 assembly, I want to say in New York or Washington or somewhere. And so then him and the other members of the organization, they're all veterans of either Iraq or Afghanistan. They went and uh, they threw their medals at it, saying like, this is oh. a source of shame. We don't want this. This is because of you. Um, and uh, But he, he, uh, he ventured into music, um, but he, he suffered a lot with one of the things i thought was really interesting in the interview that he gave was that like you know i go to the va um therapist and and, you know we talk and whatever and she's trying to get me to accept it that what you did was all right that you you can live with this but Mm -hmm. to me it's like i know it wasn't Mm -hmm. for the reasons that i was there the reasons why i signed up and what i did like it wasn't okay like we have to recognize that it wasn't and he just couldn't reconcile that, and and then ended up taking his life. Yeah, okay. Um, and to me, I guess with with my uncles and with other Vietnam vets that I've talked to, I feel like that really is something that's deep inside them. Yeah. That they can't come to admit that what that that entire thing was bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that happened to them. It's not anything that they, I don't know.
1: And so I, I I don't know where to begin unraveling that. That's a pretty profound perspective. I mean, you just nailed it there. I mean, it's something that happened to them rather than, and uh, rather than them doing something, you know. Mm. And so for a therapist to say, well, you know, you have to learn to admit that it's okay. Um. <laughs> I mean, you can you can probably turn that in a bunch of different situations and say, well, there's a reason that we you know morally look at things and say it's not okay. So why is it that in war, suddenly killing is okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's war should always be the last resort, I would assume, and then using, you know, people to actually go out and then do your, you know, killing.
0: Like you should be accountable for right. if you're
1: doing that for dirty reasons. Right. You know, and I, I, and then I don't know what that accountability would look like, except, you know, like, and it's sad that he. Now that you're saying, I didn't know his name, but the story anyway, uh, I've heard a few times about, and then him taking his own life. Um, you know, but that's, that's terrifying that he had to live through that, Mm -hmm. you know, and and just, I, I, I'm sure he probably didn't even sleep, you know, it's just, how could you after, if you have those kinds of feelings, you know, now other vets that we know have had to work through those feelings and had probably have to come to terms with, it was okay, um, simply because there's no other way to work around that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, uh, when I go back to CCR and what, fogarty was singing about i mean even in those scenarios it was never blaming the the actual soldiers mm-hmm. it was always criti- it was critiquing the government yes uh, or at least in that case the senators and and others who you know their children weren't going to war um but instead it was the i don't know if you want to say lower esteemed class um mm-hmm. you know the basic working person their children were going to war the mm-hmm. ones who didn't have bone spurs. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or flat
0: feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I know. anyway, I don't know. This is just popping my head because we're talking about there's no meaningful music. In the... Yeah. Yeah.
1: We've got some homework to do then, huh? Wait. Uh oh. What the frick? You trying to play that song? Yeah. Which one you got? Oh, God. Everything's <laughs> falling apart. Everything's <laughs> falling apart. Quit pushing the buttons! Oh. Well, what
0: the heck? Oh, never mind. I'm dumb. Well. Because I had muted the computer. (laughs) But I forgot that. So I started fitting with the switches. I'm sorry, guys. Everyone. We don't like to. I'm the worst.
1: things like that about each other.
0: Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm.
1: Come on, you dick. Which one is this now? This is the um, Don McLean.
0: No, this is Jacob George. Oh, Jacob George, excuse me. Damn it.
1: That's not coming through real well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah.
0: To be fair. <laughs> all right, for those of you who didn't hear, because I'm gonna edit this out. <laughs> that is on a separate line, so mm-hmm. it won't interfere with our actual uh, makes sense. uh our actual time here. But I guess I guess we'll have to settle for it. Not just just being part of the track.
1: uh Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Uh-huh. Sorry. Yeah, I, uh,
1: hmm.
0: And the only reason I came across it is because I listen to, uh, or I, I view Democracy Now every now and again. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I, I no, it's no. like an alternative um, new or an independent um, news station, and um, it's Amy Goodwin. She's an amazing reporter. Of uh, I mean, she has like kind of a progressive bent, but it's just like. She's just a real person. Mm-hmm. That I don't know. She just she just fills the gap so often. And one of the things, they were the only ones who ever covered him or like had him into interview. And then, uh, uh when he committed suicide, I want to say it was it was right around the tenth anniversary of the invasion. They had uh, some of the people of the organization on to just kind of talk about his life and his sacrifice. And then they played that song on the bumper, and it was like, it. I mean, it just hit me. And yeah. so I looked on, and it's like I j- I just remember that, and I. I just feel like growing up like that that that's something that everybody would have latched on to. Like like that would have that song itself and that guy would have been a turning point. Yeah. And instead he's just relegated to some internet show that maybe a hundred thousand people watch.
1: Yeah. Which in a nation like ours is pretty minuscule, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know. I hmm.
0: As much meaning and 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 like compassion and humanity that it fills me with, it's also I don't know. I I just feel uh, wow.
1: I always go down the hopeless. Hey man, I'm glad you shared it. No, (laughs) I'm I'm glad you shared that. I think it's just eye opening. uh, Just to be able to hear somebody else's voice in the midst of all this and people who have really had these experiences, it's really helpful. You know, and you and I both know a, a fair number of veterans. Uh, We interact with them on on a a fairly regular basis, Um, and uh, you know these are men and women that um, you know they 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 deserve, uh, of course, our gratitude to that to the extent of what they did. Um, But I often wonder about what are the real struggles they're facing, you know, Mm -hmm. and we just never hear that from them. Uh, What we end up doing, of course, are a lot of things that you know, whether it's a Veterans Day type celebration. Is that a celebration? Is that what we call that? I, it's Day? such a weird little thing. I mean, I, I, I don't really know what it is. I used to think that those were... Because then you've got... An honorarium? Wait, wait. Don't you have, like, um, you've got Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Now, what's the... Memorial Day veterans is Day, all the people who have died? Veterans Day is veterans. but it, veterans. Okay, all right. So that kind of makes sense, I guess. But... They, they seem to kind of go hand in hand. I mean, it's is, exactly the same thing all the time. Right. You know, and, and um, so I know we... Let, oh, we honor them. That's the word I'm looking for. So we have these these honoring ceremonies. Um, but I, I don't even know if children really understand what... Who, you know... What are we honoring anymore? You know, well, what is this?
0: And, you know, I think... I struggled a lot, and I feel like the... the where we go wrong is we... We give the respect because, uh, because they're protecting America. Like, yeah, I give think respect. That's the back, right? Where that's always the. I feel like we should give respect and compassion because of what they've gone through, exactly. and that should be the core of it. Is we have emotional compassion for them,
1: yeah.
0: Um, not, but that n- not put them up on this pedestal where they like, they can't even pretend.
1: Yeah, to be mean, weak, <laughs> right? I mean, and that's hard. I mean, so we we. So you've made a huge distinction here, but it's it's the idea that, you're right, we honor them because they are the protectors of America. They're the heroes, right? We've turned mm-hmm. them into heroes that, that are immortal or whatever. And so we have certain expectations that come with that, of course. One of them is that they can't show any sign of humanity, of being human. And so these, these individuals, you will just rarely, especially some of our older veterans that we know, you rarely hear them talk about how they actually feel about a war mm-hmm. or about the fighting that took place. It's, I mean, maybe they talk about it in the brotherhood aspect, right? Maybe they, you know, when they're driving together someplace to go, I, I maybe they talk about it then. I don't know. I mean, even my own grandfather didn't talk about it. I, I, you know, was one story I got out of him and that was it. And he was in world war two. I mean, he not in action in Europe, but, uh, over in the Philippines. And he always would say, ironically, that, uh, that's actually what gave him such compassion was seeing the destruction of the war. And he said, that's when he came back to the States, he committed his own life in that way to becoming, you know, making his play, his community a better place Mm. because of what he saw and the children and, and the women, especially he said, but anyway,
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I feel like we should be sharing. Like, That'd make us appreciate our freedoms, and like then those yeah. words wouldn't be so empty all the time. Yeah, or like just have to be like forced on your throat. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to do the well, pledge of
1: allegiance. <laughs> I, I, but, but we also don't have people banging on our doors. I mean, we don't live in these countries where there is that constant threat. And now, some would obviously say, "Well, there's not the constant threat because we have the, the you know the." The military is out there doing their job. Because we're the ones knocking on the doors. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing is like, it's so there's this always kind of this uneasy tension of, well, yeah, we aren't the people that are living in fear, but others are. And yeah. we actually might be the cause. And it's being done in our name. Right. Like, so, I don't know. you know, this individual, um, Jacob uh, Jacob, George. you know, he, I mean, that sounds to me like that's what he's wrestling with. I'm the one, you know, why are farmers killing farmers? Mm-hmm. I love that line. Oh, I mean, that's huge. But he's absolutely right. You know, why is that happening? Why are we allowing? And again, anybody listening to this will go, well, you don't know, and we don't, you don't know, know how the world works. Neither do you. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, none of us. It, it's a complicated place. We all know that. But we also know that there are just certain human norms that, that exist within us. One of them is we know we shouldn't be killing one another. We know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what religion you are or whatever. We should not be killing one another very simple and
0: the framework of this country everyone likes to praise the framers of the constitution i mean the only reason we we're supposed to go to war was because of a direct threat to the homeland yeah. and i'm sorry iran trying to exert regional power in the country that borders it that <laughs> used to be part of it culturally uh-huh. i'm that is not a direct threat to us yeah yemen is not a direct threat to us we are like <laughs> we are actively trying to oh, I say police the world yeah, that's... I mean, in Yemen, the the Houthis they had won, like just a straight up military victory. They took the capital and the president abdicated, and then came the drones. And it's been five years. Like they they took the capital in two weeks because hmm. the because the president is not a leader; he's a puppet of Saudi Arabia. Right. So he just flees, and so he's still technically the ruler that we recognize. Yeah, I. I don't know, yeah. and it just feels like like I just don't understand why it's impossible to get any kind of uh, push against that. Yeah, why 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 our media does not
1: invigorate us to do something meaningful about that? It, it isn't that strange too. I, I feel like this might have been a conversation we had previously as well, talking about media, the coverage, especially in Vietnam, that was such a big deal. Yeah, when media finally started. You know, you you were getting live snippets, basically, of what was happening in Vietnam. And with the war that we've had going on now for, like you said, almost two decades, and yet we don't. You watch the news cycles, it's almost comical. Um, I mean, the the impeachment trial with President Trump, um, I mean, just and you watch all the different things that continue to get thrown into our face... And after a while, you realize a lot of this is just meaningless garbage. This isn't actual news anymore. This is, I don't know what this is, but it's not helpful. There's no political call to action. There's no, no, this threatens you.
0: Which, by the way, I did get a comment from someone who listened, and he said, you are the most dangerous voter in America. (gasps) Really? Yes, yes. I personally am? Or you, because I, 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 I don't, don't know, what, know, maybe I, I don't. I, I don't know if he was saying like you're ooh, the type or whatever. Yeah. But it's, essentially, he was like, does he not understand the the level of personal benefit that President – Like it's it's grand I mean, with the other stuff, you can at least make an argument. It's like they're yeah. trying to do national security. My argument was like, well, no, not when you have it proven that it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> fuck you. We're, but, I don't know, I was hearing him out, but he's yeah. just like, essentially, uh, so, so Trump's whole plan, the whole propaganda thing, it worked. It worked. Mm. Because, because, uh, because, because you and I didn't take the. I was going
1: to say, because we didn't take the bait of whatever, right? Or, I mean, and that's a lot of times how I, I think individual, I mean, that's in any political system, whether it's this president, or it'll be the next president, or it'll be the president after that. You know, we're, we're constantly being fed Something and we don't know what's true and what's not half the Mm -hmm. time anymore. Um, you know, and and so to say that that's a dangerous way to vote, I don't know if that's, I mean, at that point, everybody would kind of be a danger to the vote. That's you know, which is why the founding fathers didn't want us to vote. I know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which is like
1: so sad, right? It brings it around full circle. But, oh, uh we're not property orders yeah i don't know
0: just the fact that war worldwide war and empire yeah with no possible ending ever and it's taking up more and more of our budget that that's not like the only issue that matters yeah, yeah i know <laughs> now we're just at the point where, like please if we're going <laughs> to if we're gonna expand Medicare to this extent, can it just not go to enrich the insurance companies?
1: <laughs>
0: can they not make a three trillion dollar profit on our backs? <laughs> oh,
1: and it happens. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. No, yeah. but okay. So, solution I think mm. is to just continue to be locally uh, involved. Well, I was
1: gonna say, so you know, but, but Charlie, yeah, what I also happen, feel muzzled. Like I feel, like I know.
0: Because I, I gave a speech uh, for the World War One Veterans Day yeah. thing. and I mean, I was so torn apart because from the time I was invited and accepted to when I finished more of the study and considered how drastically everything had changed and it's like how probably horrified the guys of World War One to be would be to see how just unison we are in yeah. just country, 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 country. Yeah, for Z Kyle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it I. But I also I I I, I couldn't ex- I couldn't do that yeah. in front of all the veterans on Veterans Day, the hundredth anniversary. I was I was invited there specifically, but then I, it felt like it was all it was an obligation. Like I'm the only one. I feel like I'm the only one in this town who even thinks this, and I have this opportunity to tell the kids who have. Never had an opportunity to think anything else, mm-hmm. and I—I I don't know—I struck a middle road and just said, said that they—they they were fighting for democracy, and that it's up to us to uphold that promise. Uh, because if—if if we don't, if we're not involved, if we don't care,
1: then uh, then that'll go away. But, yeah. Like I mean, I, which isn't untrue. I mean, that's you know, that's that's certainly. I mean, it's just as good of a. I mean, it's a truth. Okay. It's just not maybe the whole truth, yeah. Of what's going on, I, I just, I,
0: yeah. Part I, I just feel like, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, I'll have another opportunity. Even though that tiny little bit of winking, <laughs> um, I could tell, like, there's, there's, there's people there that um, their opinion of me changed that day. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I should yeah. have given a history lesson, should have... Well... Spoken my mind. But
1: I should do that in the pages of the paper, too. But you know how often do we hear that as well, that our history books, and there is some truth to this, I, I used to buck this quite a bit more, but that history books are, are often written by the, the winners. His right? story. So, yeah, so it's, you know, it's hard to understand the full truth of something when you're only getting that one perspective, um, and of course you're not, you're just never going to hear anything else. That's just history in and of itself so then if i'm there with the opportunity
0: to let them hear something else and maybe start thinking isn't hopefully maybe but i
1: i don't know but that also just might not be the venue for it you know Eh, don't don't cut yourself too hard on that one i won't let the veterans off so easy (laughs) (laughs) don't don't get too down well okay
0: so speaking about uh People being fed up and confused oh, yes. about something for a long time, mm. and uh, you know, finally being able to you know overcome the hump. Mm-hmm. There's only two days left in Black History Month. I know it, or Like a day and
1: a half. Really, it's a day and a half. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? <laughs> uh, you know, um, this is also going to sound. This is going to sound. Well, it's going to sound what it sounds. You know, not being in school. Uh, I really was not able to even focus on it. It just wasn't even part of... You know what I mean? Like, it just... Well, when you're in... You know how you're in school and you're like, it's Black History Month, or whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, even if it's like President's Day or it's Martin Luther... I mean, whatever. So you always learn about those things. And this month I found... Maybe it's just as I'm... Because there were so many other things going on or something. I don't know. I just didn't have that feeling like there was any real focus... Yeah. On this, uh, you know, maybe, of course, I'm not looking at the right sources, though, either. It's not like I went out looking for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't even think the New York Times really did all that much. I, Which, I know. mean, they have any... Uh, I wonder if there's a... I mean, what do you think? Is there a reason, though, that we... You start to kind of lose touch with this stuff after a while?
0: Um... um. I would say yes. And I mean, just that. Just generally, we're losing connection with holidays. I mean, just because media and attention is so spread out now that, whereas before you'd have your six channels and all of them have a Black like History a special, Month right? special, or at least yeah. a commercial. Yeah. Um, and it's, I guess, in a way, I'm kind of glad it's not commercialized. Right. I always thought for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Old Navy should do an ad. Old Navy. Free at last, free at last. (laughs) Thank God Almighty. Old Navy flip flops are buy one, get one free at last. That is
1: awful. I, uh, you deserve to get blasted for that. (laughs) But are you almost, (laughs) I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't happened, I guess. Because, I mean, even with like the President's Day sales, they'll always have like talking heads, right? It'll be like Washington and Lincoln, and they'll be like. Can you believe what's going on down at wg and yeah. at their President's Day sale? This is revolutionary! <laughs> 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 oh, you should have gotten into marketing. Um, you know, but that that does seem, you know, now that you're saying that, that seems to be the case. We really have lost touch with, and they're not even just holidays, because, I mean, that, you know, the ho- the idea of what a holiday actually is, is when you think about Christmas or Easter and I mean, those are actual holy days or holidays, but the yeah, other... I feel so dumb. I never put that together Oh Well, that's all right. Most people, I mean, we don't. We don't grow up thinking that, but then it, it kind of got subsumed into other things that these are now holidays. In secular society. Or, right. And then what I've noticed now, let's say throughout Black History Month, maybe even more so, was there was a larger focus placed on women in particular. I saw a lot of different events happening where they were... Uh, wearing red for women, or doing this for women. So mm. I don't know why they chose this month to do that kind of stuff. Maybe it's because it's Valentine's Day, and you know you're trying to work within all of that. I I'm not sure, but when's, I I did notice more of that. Um, if that's anything,
0: When is it, when's Martin Luther King's? Is uh, that, that's in January, right? That's in jan- him in January. Him and yeah,
1: that's in January. Oh boy, this is so bad right now. Why do we? Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of I, because I always put that in with college when most of the uh, college kids go back is around Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, it's January 20th, right? So it's that. But then when's actual? Uh, what's President's Day now? Because we don't do the Lincoln birthday anymore, do we? Or or Washington? Well, that's birthday. what it always was because they I think they had the same birthday, so uh, then they called it, it President's Day. God, I'm so confused in fifth grade. I just all uh, I can f- think of are silhouettes of faces plastered all over the room
0: come on just give me it. a simple answer please there's other things i wanted. <laughs> i wanted to lead into um oh. okay so some guy just kind of started doing it in like nineteen sixty, like let's focus on the Negroes, yeah. And uh, and in February, so then they just kept doing it. Uh, but you the remember, like when um,
1: when did Kwanzaa uh, first become like a a recognized holiday on the calendar? When did what Kwanzaa? I have, I feel like Ooh, that I was I have no idea. See again, I feel like I was a teenager when I first started hearing about Kwanzaa, and yeah, uh, I'd say it was probably about ten. Like, even if you watch, if you ever watch The Office and somebody mentions Kwanzaa to Stanley, Stanley. <laughs> and he just, <laughs> I celebrate Christmas, you know, <laughs> or something like that. You know, and, and so it's, it was one, I always feel like society, in a sense, was always kind of poking at Kwanzaa. They never really allowed it to become. Is, do you even know what it is? I don't. It, I don't know what it has to do with. Uh, I assume it's, a, um, I assume it's like an actual African African-American and oh, so-
0: Pan-African Celebration of Family community and Culture. Oh. Kwanzaa Week-Long Cultural Festival from 26th of December to the 1st of January that climaxes in feasts and gift-giving. <laughs> it was initially established to unite African-Americans with their African roots and heritage.
1: God damn it. we so, got to support that. So it was a thing, though, that actually... Yeah, see, for African-Americans specifically. I did not. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, me either. I, so the way that it was always presented to me was that it was really focused on... Uh, like it was like well because of course it's right around Christmas which yeah. is right around Hanukkah so now we got to give this you know and make sure we have this other we'll thing give them as their own well. yeah you know and that's the way it was always kind of presented that it was like an African tradition I didn't realize it was yeah. actually African American I mean I thought it was like as, like Kenyan or something right but yeah because that that's what never made it just never jived with me I was like Kwanzaa I've never ever heard of this
0: yeah. I can see you why know? people wouldn't do that though because like. Well, so we can't just well, celebrate with the rest of you? Exactly. And I think that
1: was, maybe maybe that was Stanley's point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm, you know, I celebrate Christmas. I don't celebrate Kwanzaa. Leave it to the early you office know. episodes. I know. Great writing. I know. But, goes but I wonder, too, for African-Americans, uh, it would really be interesting to, to, well, I'm trying to think of who I could ask, too, um, would be able to, but but I wonder if there's a, a sense of, that community among African-Americans. I really do. You know, I mean, I think there's, we want to push that. And by we, I'm just whomever we are. But there's a sense that they're trying to push that upon African-Americans. But I wonder if many African-Americans are just Americans at this point. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're, mm. if they would actually would look at that and go, well, yeah, I'm black. Um, that part is, you know, I can't, you know, that is what it is.
0: And. Uh, I would say, at least in my experience, that it's, uh, I mean, this is saying that every black man or every black person is
1: bilingual. Ah, um, well, I can see that. And, and of course, systemically there's definitely, we've talked about that before, there are definitely still a lot of issues. It was actually just, um, I just went to a presentation a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the graduation rates in schools. I, I think I referenced that to you. I, I can't remember if I put that in, in an email. But it was amazing the disparity between the number of, the percentage of white students that graduate versus the percentage of black students that graduate at the same high school. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was like a difference between 90% and 60%. I couldn't believe that. And then it's... I mean, that just floored me, right? The school-to-prison pipeline. Well, and then there's that part of it, too. So, you know, and that's why I was saying, like, I don't know if that's... So was that what Kwanzaa, do you think? I mean, is it intended to bring the community together to focus on the cultural richness of... Of, well, I guess it said it was it was kind of focused like on like like looking so? at
0: the African roots, so it's like not necessarily that you left it behind. So my guess is it was probably part of like the Liberia project too. Okay, um, All right, which I don't know a ton about. I just know the, just enough, the though. basic concept. Yeah. But I mean, like, like Malcolm X, um, and honestly, like Elijah Muhammad, he had a lot of skeletons in the closet. But one of the things that like like in that environment black nationalism made sense because it wasn't necessarily we want to, uh, like some of the black Panthers did like overthrow the United States and, and have our own thing and like kill all white people. It was just because they were brought here against their, or, you know, their ancestors brought here against their will, they're forced in this system that was built to oppress them that hasn't seen them as people. One of Malcolm X's main points that i totally agree with is you wouldn't have to change any laws like like by the fact that you have to change laws for civil rights means one of two things either you didn't mean that all men were created equal or you are saying that we are not men Men. in your eyes uh so it's like why we need to have our own thing because we're never going to be able to assimilate Mm -hmm. and i mean even martin luther king was was going that way like i have a dream is 1963 He's shot in 69. Yeah. He's a completely different man uh, by 69 because they just, I mean, like like Civil Rights Act, like really, it just gave license to impoverish everybody colorblindly. Sure. Um, And so, and that's why Martin kind of, he was giving, he was giving a speech for workers' rights and unionization and wealth, wealth, wealth redistribution the night he was shot yeah. wasn't talking about race at all no but it uh hmm. and so as far as uh, black people may be feeling in america i think probably in some aspects i mean obviously it's easy i mean not easier um i mean you can have a job and not expect to have a dog sicked on you <laughs> <laughs> but i mean that's only a generation and a half behind yeah, I know. uh and that stuff still exists. I mean, down in the South. I mean, you've been to Alabama quite a How bit. Yeah. Do, do you think that the black people there are, feel like they're just Americans, or do you think they feel like they're black people?
1: Yeah. Okay, right. Uh, I don't think they think they're just Americans. Um, but I also don't get a sense that there's – see, it's difficult, because I just – you know, there is still some a cultural subset – in Many ways, with regards to religion, you know, especially in the South, where it's broken up between you've got literally white churches and you've got black churches, mm-hmm. and that's just how they talk about it. It doesn't even matter what type of church it is, it might be a Methodist church, but this is the black Methodist church, this is the white Methodist. Have you ever taken the kids you know. to a to a black one? No, that's actually something that's on my, I'll say, my bucket list of things to do. Yeah. Because I do think it would be an eye-opening experience for them to experience. I, I had a, in my undergraduate studies, I'd read a book called uh, The Hum, which is a fascinating read on African-American mm-hmm. spirituality in regards to the way they use uh, both noise and silence in in religious services. So that, you know, oftentimes when you're hearing the preacher going, there's always that,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, we kind of make fun of that maybe in, People poke fun at it in movies and things like that. And and, uh, oftentimes you'll hear other people in religious circles, they pull that type of stuff out. Yeah, but it does. It sets the pace. It helps the preacher understand is he going down the right road, the wrong, you know, and and how should he keep preaching? And that often the silence, though, is just as important as Mm -hmm. the actual noise that's being made. I thought, golly, that's fascinating just to think about. I mean, so there is a whole different, you know, in, in the religious world, there's just like a whole different understanding of uh that of uh uh, african-american spirituality but then at the same time there's such a richness to their songs uh that you know when we try to use them in our predominantly white church sounds horrible i'm just gonna say it we need to stop singing african-american songs in white churches and in culture it's not because they're bad songs they're great songs that's why we shouldn't be singing. Them. <laughs> yeah, it's disrespectful. It's almost disrespectful at this point, uh, you know. So I, I really, you know, it's it. I do think you're right. It would be eye-opening for children to be able to experience that kind of spirituality, you know. And it, it, it <laughs> I watched. Unfortunately, I watched uh, Key and Peele. Um, People are watching their comedy routine, and they have an mm-hmm. episode where they're two. They dress up as two women who are sitting in church, and then they're fighting Satan within their bodies. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, but you know, but even in that, they're they're giving you a glimpse of African American uh, spirituality. You know, trying to show you what it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think it is just so absolutely foreign. And of course, what you know, white spirituality right now is all this Bethel. Uh, mumbo jumbo or or hillsong or whatever yeah and it's just a really bizarre also a really bizarre subset but it is also i would say on the verge of racism in itself i mean it just is very cut out they can argue all they want but it is a very white european type of spirituality you know it's not cut for it, it doesn't speak to an african-american
0: what's your take on white jesus or Caesar, well, Jesus.
1: So that's interesting too. I was, um, you know, when because like I have a number of pictures in my office, and none of Jesus's pictures look the same. <laughs> <laughs> he's always different. So in one of them, he's this fair-haired, you know, blue-eyed young man. Yeah. Uh, in another one, he's just this distraught, disfigured-looking, kind of a ragged, um, what you'd almost think of as an Eastern European type man. Uh, rarely do you see, like, a black-faced or a dark-faced Jesus. But, you know, I've also seen Asian Jesuses. I've seen South American Jesuses, Mexican Jesuses. You know, I mean, you you get—in every cultural identity, you start to see that they subsume Jesus's cultural heritage into their own so that he actually becomes them. But—so for specifically African Americans and the slaves, white Jesus, this is your savior. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's a problem. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I mean, and I, I would, I would have to, man, I, neither you nor I would really know, but I would just have to imagine, you know, as they were, if they're living through the early 1800s, 1700s and so on, and if you are truly becoming Christian, I mean, they'd have to see Jesus as black. There's no way Mm -hmm. he could have been white. But of course they have your landowner or the other churches telling you who this Jesus is and you have to go to church and you know, here's this white Jesus up there and he's your savior. Well now all the white people are your saviors, even though they're the ones who have brought you in chains and shackles. Yeah. Well I wanna That's a problem. I wanna say
0: it was James Baldwin. James Baldwin or James Cohn. Um in some book or something something by one of them. Um, they said that the slaves found, uh, the the slaves clung, and found meaning in Christianity because of the message that death wasn't the end, anth- like like that wasn't the end of right. it. That wasn't the victory. That was um, your way to spit in the face of the oppressor. Yeah, and so that's like the struggle was worth it because one day um, there would be more. Yeah,
1: and and that's and, and for christianity that's always been the promise so that uh, what we call liberation theology is very yeah. focused on that perspective that um, no matter what happens uh you know there is something more so really the oppression that you experience is i don't want to say good that's not the right word but it is a way to push back because the more you are oppressed the more This promise becomes, you know, but then also in liberation theology, it almost gives permission to, uh, for that oppressed group to rise up and to say, hey, enough is enough. Um, you can't keep doing this to us. And now we're going to, we're going to go so far as to say, we'll kill you, uh, in order to stop that oppression. Yet, I mean,
0: one of the huge differences between Malcolm and Martin was Martin's, uh, dedication was to nonviolence right in the christian tradition that's and that's why it was accepted more whereas malcolm i mean islam it was more about building the black identity and it it wasn't violence but i mean the things he was talking like like they thought or they considered him a terrorist and, and black panthers a terrorist because they were educating black people about you have a second amendment right to have a weapon yeah so if don't ever don't Indiscriminately killed, but if a cop is coming up or if someone's just harassing you, like you can protect yourself, right? And so they taught him the rights, they taught him self respect and not to just take it. And
1: like that was that was the split, uh, but but but, I mean, and isn't that so? Couldn't you put that too in like terms of what we would see with some of the Second Amendment uh issues with among white people and how they just you know, so many of them, these are my guns, you know, and I don't you dare try to all that stuff. And it's almost like they're also living out liberation theology in their own, but it's in their mind. You know what I mean? Like, th- there's they're not living in a system that is set up to take their guns away from them. Uh, however, if you are black trying to live out that same Second Amendment right, good yeah, luck. Yeah, You know, it's just well, not going to be as easy to, I'm sorry, it's just not going to be as easy to do. I uh,
0: I have a cousin who's just, he just posted the dumbest libertarian stuff ever. And one of them was he had a, uh, it was Martin Luther King saying that, like, you know, he he was first. He posts all the Second Amendment stuff, like, I gotta protect, blah blah blah. I'll shoot the guy and then call the cops. That kind <sighs> of dumb stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then he posts something about Martin Martin Luther King, just like pretty much saying, like, he was nice because he wasn't uppity. Because like it was like he was nonviolent. He organized people, and they were able to affect change. I wish more people were like that. And I just I, I couldn't resist. Whereas like, okay, so. Are you saying that if they viewed their government as being too oppressive and tyrannical, and if they had taken up uh, their Second Amendment right and tried to overthrow the government,
2: mm.
0: are you are like, would that be bad? Right. Can you imagine that have ever succeeding? Right. What about yourself and your own delusions? Right. I, I just, I don't know. Just, just like the blatant racism or at the very best just lack of self-awareness of of how you judge things because well, it's like because like at that point it's not this through line of human rights yeah, that, that
1: you I, market it as right i see that i guess even using christian as a christianity as a bumper in the scenario too which a lot of people go to christians are pacifists I don't know. I I, I can point out many examples. Uh, Jesus is in the garden. Uh, uh, This is the night before, well, this is the night of his arrest. Um, So Judas comes with all these other people to arrest Jesus, and one of his disciples pulls out a sword and cuts off a slave's ear, and Jesus says, whoa, stop, right? Mm. But it was not unheard of for his own disciples. He's telling them they will need these weapons, Later on, Paul interprets that and, and starts talking about weapons of the spirit. He starts talking about you know God. the armor of God and things of that nature. Uh, however, Jesus' own story shows us that there was a sense that their lives were in danger and they needed to be able to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. They knew this. The difference is Jesus was willing to lay his life down. That was his choice. So that was the pacifism that happened. But it was because, you know, and I'm, again, I'm getting religious and spiritual oh, and so on. But, but I mean, so from his perspective or from God's, I mean, there's a, a knowledge that God's going to do something greater. So Jesus, although he's laying his life down, he understands or at least knows the sacrifice won't be uh, the last um, sound. Right. Mm-hmm. There'll be something greater. But the disciples don't know. I They have no clue what's going on. He alludes to it over and over again. But they're just like, uh. you know. I mean, we give them a lot of. I shouldn't say it. They yeah, we like, know what happens. They aren't like, uh, you know, they're but they're just they're they're they, they can't see it. They just can't see it because they live in a temporal time and place. So they're unable to take themselves out of that moment and look beyond and say, okay, there's something bigger happening. So yeah, you could try to do the pacifist. You know, you can you can certainly do it. But I don't know that if as a Christian that that's always the call. I, I, I do think there's a sense that you may need to defend yourself um, if you're being beat down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Uh, he's not saying to do this until you're absolutely bloodied, you know, and then you're, you're lying in a lump and dead on the ground. Although we always say the church is built on the blood of the martyrs. So at the same time, you know, we say that that's how the church continues to drive itself forward because when people are killed for their faith, It just bolsters the faith of those who are still alive.
0: Well, and I think that was the success of the nonviolence movement because, like, they go and they sit at a counter and, like, really, you're using fire hoses and police dogs. Yeah, like uh, that helped turn the tide of America. But, like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, but I mean, it still took like
1: ten years after that to for anything to happen. And we, we've talked about too with uh, in the Vietnam War that self-immolation, you know, the yeah. monks actually lighting themselves on fire. That's a very non-violent way to show um, their faith, and, it, and it, of course, embolden. Hopeful, I mean, that's what they were doing. They're trying to do is embolden the faith of others. Mm-hmm. Say you can do this too, you know. And, and then, can you imagine being that country and going, "Oh my God! All of our priests and monks are going to start lighting themselves on fire." I mean, that is a way to force the hand of a government yeah. at that point, um, in one way or another. You know, I mean, it's, it's successful in its own way, but it's, um, but, you know, I can't say that the liberation theology, uh, I mean, there's been some films, none of them come to mind. I watched one in seminary and it was very, it was a little bizarre, you know, and by the end of the film, all these um, young men and women are carrying like automatic rifles into battle which is really kind of weird. That seems like uh, a strange yeah. turn. You know, but I was like, oh, okay, so what's happening here? But the main character basically was resurrected. I mean, they were showing Jesus in the current context. Yeah. So he was okay. killed, and then he comes back to life. Sounds better than Godspell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it oh, does. Yeah. <laughs> but when he comes back to life, he, you know, then he takes all his disciples into battle. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can quite go that far. It's like Rambo? Yeah, yeah except like, you know, uh, impoverished African nation Rambo. So it was really... Oh, Quambe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was bad. Well, but it was... Anyway, the whole movie, I mean, you're just kind of left there going, well, I don't know if this is good or not, too. But this kind of comes full circle of, I think, what you were asking about with Black History Month. Uh, you know, you and I live in a, a predominantly white Community, yeah. uh, I have no idea what the schools did with Black History Month. Um, I'd be curious to hear from them. You know, what do they do with the children? I know, even for my own faults, I uh, I think as a pastor, I probably should have put more of an emphasis. I get lost in what's always coming up, and so I was thinking Ash Wednesday and all these other things. But I have an opportunity too, where I could have certainly helped illustrate black people of faith and what did they do with their faith and why is that important in our culture, even though we're not yeah we're not black. But why is it still important? I mean they're Christian or something along you know, I should have I that's my own mea culpa. I should have done that too. Well hey there's there's a sermon. No, there's time that's true. And there's and it's probably again it's part of that eye opening of you know, again, I don't have I, I can look down on my skin. I don't have to worry about Black History Month because I'm not black. Yeah. Well, that's not true, right? Oh, so I'll tell you one of the no. things I did. Oh, well, what'd you do? Um,
0: I guess, you know, warning, trigger warning.
1: I'm I'm really ready for this now.
0: <laughs> so uh, we have the newspapers.com. It's this uh, historical database of newspapers. It goes back to like 1720 or so. So I went Alabama oh. eighteen sixty and typed in the N word. Just be like I uh, not not to like revel in it. No, but just to see. Like Yeah. Well, that sounds like what was the context? Like how yeah. was it used? And I mean I'll say you could definitely see that they viewed them as animals. And yeah. like people at not people at all. They're they're beasts that had to be tamed and controlled. Um, and so here's one. This is uh, so yeah. Right before, or like as Lincoln. This is September nineteenth, eighteen sixty, about two months before Lincoln is elected in uh, Pickens County, um, in West Alabama. Headline is: Whither are we tending? Senator Rhett of South Carolina charges that Hannibal Hamlin, the Republican nominee for the vice presidency, is a mulatto, and that's in uh, italics, and says that he stands ready to produce the proof. All right, here's the trigger warning. A free nigger to preside in the United States Senate. How would Southern senators like that? The humiliation and disgrace of the thing would certainly be something, but the smell would be awful. Mm. Wow. Yeah, man. It's, uh, here, it's another one. Now, we protest against electioneering for John Bell on the faith of Mrs. Bell's niggers. Mrs. Bell's niggers never kept uh, John from voting with Adams, Corwin, Slade, and the whole abolition crew in favor of abolition petitions. Mrs. Bell's niggers never kept John from saying in Congress, I would be content to see slavery in the District of Columbia abolished today. Mrs. Bell's niggers never kept John from voting against the Kansas-Nebraska bill in company with Chase, Fezden, Hamlin, blah, blah, blah. Miss Bell's niggers, like, it's just over her over. property, her yeah. property. They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do this. They're respectable niggers. Like, yeah. Uh, huh. And then 100 years
1: later, we get to a different point. So this is now we're up to 1960s. Ish. Yes. Okay. Ballpark. (laughs) All right.
2: Leave it up to the moderate Negro leaders. They'll be able to trick it up and make the world think that they passed something that doesn't really mean anything. So what you and I have got to do is get involved. You and I have to be right there breathing down their throat. Every time they look over their shoulder, we want them to see us. We want to make them... We want to make them pass the strongest civil rights bill they've ever passed. Because we know even after they pass it, they can't enforce it. (laughs) In order to do this, we're starting a, a voter's registration drive. We have to get everybody in Harlem registered. Not as Democrats or Republicans, but registered as independence. We're going to organize a corps of brothers and sisters who, after the city is mapped out, they won't leave one apartment house door not knocked on. There won't be a door in Harlem that will not have been knocked on to see that whatever black face lives behind that door is registered to vote by a certain time this year. Nobody will have an excuse not to be registered. We'll ask him, let us see your card. If you don't have the uh, sense of responsibility to get registered, we'll move you out of town. <laughs> <laughs> The ballot or the bullet. After we get our people registered, we can then organize that voting strength and channel it in the direction that will get immediate results for the benefit of our people. We can sweep our enemies right out of office, but we will not be able to do it sitting around talking about select and elect your own candidates
1: That's really interesting. Hmm. So, it, I guess um, the question that I have, I mean that that message, has it been lost? That part of it.
0: Um. As far as I know, I know there are still some people like that that are kind of reviving it. Okay. Uh. But.
1: But the Democratic Party has just kind of assumed Assumed. all power. You know, and that's, I think, isn't that part of the difficulty there, too? Because when he said that, you know, we're not going to register as Democrat or Republican, but we're going to register as independents, that's actually genius. Of course that's how you'd want to register anyway, Mm -hmm. because those other two systems are the systems that you were fighting for 100 years anyhow. Regardless of one maybe fighting for you know uh, one that's sl- a little sl- bit better yeah i was going to say it, it it's still not i mean you need to create a third you know there does need to be that other option
0: especially like with the race relations like that's yeah. that's the point is like we have to register so that we're a force that they have to contend with yeah. and that we need we want this or we're not voting for you we're, we'll yeah. run our own people and we'll be able to elect them because we have the voting power right and just that the actual like, civic-mindedness of it and using the tools that are available but discouraged or like like there's a pressure from the white society not to use or it's just like the hopelessness of like, well, you know, why even do it? But just laying it out and like, we can do this if we all mm-hmm. try. And so if you're not going to do it, we'll run you out of town. right? Uh, just like that determination of will and purpose and it's just like you, it, it's so righteous that even as a white guy i have to be like yes yeah <laughs> black nationalism well it does i
1: mean at least there's there's a sense of i mean cuz i think for well, I, I don't even know if i could uh you know i'm just going to backtrack on all that I mean, i'm going to go down that rabbit hole but um, yeah. <laughs> cuz it really is just powerful the way he he addressed that um you know the the bullet or the ballot mm. yeah don't stop me in my tracks. I mean, yeah. it makes me want to go vote. I'll yeah. tell you that. It's, I mean, I'm not saying like against, but I'm just saying that that does make you want to <laughs> get, makes me
0: want to make sure they don't get in there. <laughs> no, not at all. I know,
1: but it actually, it, I think for many Americans, you and I included, you know, it's it's hard to understand when we look around at, at uh, the elected officials that we do have. You know, why isn't it a better representation of you know who we? have living around us you know why isn't there um why i should say why are and it's not just blacks but now we're more hispanic you know why don't we have more hispanic voices uh where is that in this part of the process too um aren't they much like what's going on here you know with with that speaker wouldn't that be the next logical step too is to encourage of course i know there's other barriers yeah uh, well the political thing, i mean
0: but, PBS in the day, they would host debates between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Like they would have civil rights leaders on regularly yeah. and have those debates and sponsor those debates. And it, I mean, it's just not that way anymore. Like yeah. they're with, with all of the coverage of Venezuela and how people are eating rat rectums, right? I've, I've gone through the stories, they don't talk to one Venezuelan. And I know a while ago maduro he uh, banned all like foreign press coverage but god why do you have 10 trillion dollars if not to be able to embed some undercover reporters mm-hmm. like or at the very least use electronics to talk to venezuelans um i've actually i found an alternative use for tinder <laughs> oh my god And it's actually. I was not
1: expecting that. I know
0: you were not. (laughs) But it's actually been pretty amazing because, like, for like the five bucks or whatever, you level up and you can change your location Uh anywhere in the world. Oh wow! So I just put it in Maracaibo in Caracas in in just the (laughs) Venezuela and just like whoever matches, I'm just like instantly like, hey, I'm not in your country, but I'm an American. I like. I don't know. We're hearing a lot of things. Blah blah blah. (laughs) And so you'd think ABC or CNN would be able to do something like that yeah. to hear what it's actually not at all. Hmm. Um, Maybe so it's because
1: it's not trusted or something. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh,
0: I'm Much less like, you know, why not uh, doing the whole Kaepernick kneeling thing? Mm-hmm. Why not have him on to talk about it? Yeah. Just leave him silent, yeah. leave him on the sidelines. Still to this day, nobody has him on to... Yeah. Say anything, Nike will put him in an ad, and that's it. Yeah. How disgraceful is that? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, then I had, on a personal level, I had some pretty strong feelings about that, uh, and it was not because. Uh, boy, this, it, it became a very explosive issue very quickly, you know. And uh, I think for people like myself, I, I, I'm assuming there's others out there that just didn't understand what was he doing, right? I mean, so all we got was the fact that he was kneeling, and then he had pig socks on. And that was the only thing that we were getting feedback mm-hmm. about. Uh, there was never any real understanding of, well, what is going on where he lives? Or, uh, you know, what is what are the real problems? And these, these may not be problems that we face where you and I live. They really, they may not. But it still would be helpful to understand it. But And, and that's where the, the news coverage should have
0: gone, is here he is as part of this larger iceberg, but all they did was just focus well, on the controversy. Right, of it just the became young.
1: an NFL thing. And it's like, like, but there has to be something bigger than the NFL. Right. Yeah. So at some point there's gotta be something more going on. Like,
0: and I'd say the reason it was so explosive is, I mean, just at the time, like, like things were getting scary. I mean, it yeah. was one thing after the other that huh. didn't seem defensible, even with the, like the video evidence right there. and, My guess is that those things are still going on. They're just not showing or making a big story anymore. Um, But like that was a moment that the media could have. Like the reason it was explosive is because we weren't actually talking about the problem, and nobody was sitting down. With like those debates were not actually happening. It was
1: America or colored commie. So do you think you know all this? I'm just thinking about from a professional perspective, some of the things I've had to be uh, instructed on or I've gone through anti-racism training uh, a multitude of times at this point, uh, most of it being forced down my throat. Okay, let's just, I mean, it was, I go to a conference not really understanding and suddenly, boom, I'm being um, deprogrammed, so to speak. Um, Do you think that that's valuable in a society like this? Do you think that that's something that will help us understand what's going on anti-racism or anti-racism training basically trying to deprogram white people to understand that we have all the cards in our hands that no matter how hard we want to think that we're a victim of anything we are not we have all the privilege in the world um and that there are uh, that i am the reason that others are being oppressed
0: uh no um, it's class always, and they use race to divide us among the underclass so that we don't do anything to the people who have all of the
1: money and the power. Damn, Charlie. <laughs> That's good. I wish I had thought of that in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Would have raised my hand and been like, uh, this is a class issue. I just
0: want to but, point this out. But to, Ooh. I mean it's it's not that like the oppression of black people is real. It is. And, and like so it's our job to empower them and and to listen, and it's like to understand, like why they're probably hostile. Because in a lot of circumstances, we do have more privilege than they do. Yeah. But we're not their oppressor. Right. Um, and th-
1: but that is <laughs> in that anti-racism, that is what it boils down to: is that somehow you and I are the actual oppressors in the situation, which I would say is kind of ironic because I hold no power. Yeah. In this scenario. Although I'm being can't even get a community center exactly. It's like, but I'm being told over and over again that we are the ones that hold the power, and I'm like, that's just that seems stupid and that's impossible.
0: Citibank, it's J.P. Morgan. right?
1: Um, Okay, yeah, no, it's a lie. Yeah, I appreciate your feedback on that because I, it was one of the things actually. It was my first year at seminary. We, it was a mandatory, uh, a mandatory. I don't want to say conference, but it was like a training. And what's funny is they called it racism training. (laughs) And we were always like, what is racism training? And then realized, oh, anti-racism. Like they're not going to train a bunch of racists. But maybe that's what they, I don't know. But anyway, we were right out of the gate. We sat down in our uh, auditorium. And I I remember the speaker got up and said, "Uh, you are racist. And we're all looking at him. And he said, you're white and you're racist. Get used to it. And I just was like, wow. So now, if you can imagine, you know, a bunch of future pastors, this is what's being told to them. Um, and so now I have to go out in the world. I serve a, a congregation of, uh, I'm, I mean, it's not by any choice, it's just all white people, mm-hmm. okay, in the community that I serve. And now I have a, a skeptical eye at everything we do. Are we doing it because we're racist? You know, the people that I serve. They they don't even think twice about it because this is where we live. Uh, much like if I were serving in a, in a black community, I'm sure it would be a different, you know, for, for me it would be a different perspective. Um, but that is what they're currently teaching, not just pastors but other leaders, corporate I mean, uh, entities. Do you know, like
0: are there – oh, so it's like you were in there with just like a secretary too? Yeah. Uh,
1: no no this was just for pastors okay. this particular day was just pastors, i was gonna say that would be pretty messed just up just <laughs> from our seminary but they do i mean you, then my uh local um I'll just say local hierarchy of church body also just had the same training um, so that you know you, it, it, boundaries are one thing you know when we talk about sexual harassment and stuff but we've moved beyond that now we just want to train people on how not to be racist in their workplaces you know and so there's this this constant Push, I think, on corporations. We saw it with Starbucks. We saw it with, um, oh, what was the other so, one?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just the veneer of of, of equality. Absolutely. it's it's
1: not. I mean, it's it's like getting a little stamp on your report card. It's like, why says, doesn't yeah, Starbucks build in
0: South Chicago? Right. Why doesn't Bill Gates? I mean, there's so much power that
1: could be put into those communities. there's So much money that's been sucked out, and all the I know. Well, so that that's isn't that to me that's more of a racist issue than anything else at that point. Yeah, that's where the real racism is occurring. That's where the repression you know, lies. The local people that are working at a star at a Starbucks, who actually lash out at maybe somebody of, if if it's a white person working there and they lash out at somebody who's black, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons they could have done that. Yeah, who knows what their upbringing was like? I have no clue. I, you know, and, and and there's a lot well, of reasons that that kind of stuff can
0: happen. And even get down to that, it was like. It's because he wasn't buying anything that she was kicking him out. It's capital. It's class. Right. And
1: so in that regards, but at the same time, the company, instead of falling on its own sword, still pointed the fingers at the lower peons that are working in the company, instead of looking into the executives and saying, you know what? You're right. Here's a billion dollars- go build in that city. I already made it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like they could have done something so cool. They could yep. have built some kind of like a, a community center for, um, for race equality. I don't know what that would look like, yep. but do that. Or even just like, you know, put, put out like a request for proposal. Is. Like
0: we have a billion dollars that we want to give to a black organ or black yes. leaders come up with an idea. Um, yeah, it,
1: we're not even going to touch it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, couldn't they have yep. done something like that? And instead, they're just like, no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna close all our stores uh, for one day. And look at us, we're losing profits. So we're gonna close all our stores, and we're gonna make all of our employees fall on the sword for us, and we're gonna blame them for the racial inequality of this nation, yep.
0: while still making sure that if someone God. isn't buying something, they
1: are not welcome Seriously. here. Seriously, that was so lame. Yep. I mean I've I mean but been but so it's disappointed just disappointed by it, this.
0: It's it's no different than the virtue signaling of having like a um the rainbow flag on their cups. Yes. Where like right. Like I don't know. Die like like you have nothing to do with that struggle at all right. just because Seattle's a gay city and you're from there. I mean Yeah. I don't know
1: capitalism is kind of built against gay people too. <laughs> but I mean is it so then it, it does go back to for so much of that, is it really? Is that the real struggle, like you said, or is it the class issue? You know, and uh, really, what's going on? I, I Boy, I just wish I had thought of that. I should have had you at the conference. I don't know. Maybe I could have gotten out of it. Like when they commodify it like that, where it's then
0: uh, a marketing opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it just it saps all of the humanity out of it, and and it forces the oppressed people to have to, to come into that consumer society and have to accept the apology. Yeah. Um I wish those guys would have said like
1: that I I don't know. I wish there would have been more backlash from everybody for that. You know, I actually just stopped going to Starbucks, that was the final straw for me. I, I stopped using Starbucks <laughs> right, after literally. that. Ha. Nice well played. Um so, and in, you know, my wife will tell you, she, she doesn't tell me when she goes to Starbucks because <laughs> I get very fussy about it, but it's not because I think that they're, you know, they're,
0: I see them as the enemy, but not that one. Right.
1: And, well, <laughs> and, and it's like, I just was so frustrated that they decided to blame their employees for the problem. I said, this is not right to me. And and so many of those employees are just trying to make an honest day's Work, you know, our, our money, whatever. Well, just yeah, so but they, they pay so well that they, they
0: they help them pay for college. So where else are they going to go? Yeah, you'll take what we give you. I know. um I know. And just the, I mean, they they're just the devil. I think
1: they are. I think they actually might be.
0: Like like we'll go everywhere and put everyone else out of business, yeah. and uh then we'll be the only ones
1: here. And their coffee, I mean, it, it, it tastes like crap. Yep. I drink a lot of coffee. I think the Starbucks stuff sucks. I would love to see. I mean. I'll take Dunkin' Donuts any day or yep. Starbucks. The machines I mean, that
0: prepack the oh shots. Like God. everything's everything's I, just
1: robotic. Oh, um, but it's horrible. You pay six dollars for some crappy cup of coffee, and I'm like, mm, and it's it's almost half the time it tastes like mud. It's so thick. You know, and I it must be that Seattle thing. That's what they do up in Seattle, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> we go
0: to the Puget Sound oh. and <laughs> We glasses. harvest our own
1: beans right there. And... Oh, at low tide, it's great. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Um, but, yeah, oh. and,
0: and then you just – because we kind of talked about, like, actual culture building. And, like, at a local coffee shop, those people, like, they, like they might not be brilliant baristas or, or cooks oh. or whatever, but it's, like, they're learning, and it's, like, the people who run that shop live in that community, pay taxes there, are most likely buying local um, yeah. stuff, which is becoming less and less possible. So everyone just goes through distributors and it makes me sad. Yeah. Same ones that supply the prisons and the schools are oh. supplying country club <laughs> dining. <laughs> um huh. and I don't know, I just I I like I like real things and yeah. and real culture and things that other people are trying to build. Not I just I hate the chains. I
1: know. But anyway it's it's because, like you said, though, I, I, even with hating chains and stuff, it's like, well, what can we do? You know, a lot of times, doesn't it feel helpless? Like you really, you can try, you can, you can continue to plug your money in at places that you you want to see around. Yeah. But unless you have, you know, a hundred people doing that with you, you're just constantly fighting this tide that then you're spending way too much money. You're never able to get ahead. But, you know, the cycle continues. Well. You know. Or, right, the alternative is that you do it with the hope that others will catch on and, and it'll just take off after a or while.
0: There's that study that, like, uh, in order to get uh, monkeys or apes to be able to learn a behavior across the generation or to do it widely, it has to be, there has to be a uh, hundred monkeys that do it. So one will do it, another will copy it. It's not up until that 100th monkey starts doing that action that it is then something that they do almost like inherent right um and so i guess i just try to think like that and hope that i'm the 90th
1: that's a good way of looking at Um, it
0: but i mean at the very least just like i don't go there I, i don't go to the chains and so therefore it doesn't bother me as much because i'm i'm staying away from the toxic atmosphere and i'm I'm around the things that i appreciate and go to the places that i support uh but i will say that like just being able to have like shared cultural experiences it's hard but at the same time most of the shared cultural experiences and that stuff is just how terrible things are (laughs) and how much you hate yourself and like yeah my life sucks isn't that funny uh Uh. (laughs) but so I don't know just keep talking and hope that hope that maybe at the very least in this election we can settle the fact that the rights of a company to make eight trillion dollars is not more important than parents rights to not have to bankrupt themselves to save their kid I know (laughs) hopefully we can land on that Maybe uh, I think you're asking a lot, though. And that's I just I
1: don't know. Yeah, I mean, and it's capitalism or not, it's just human nature. I mean, it's a it's a selfishness, it's a desire. Um, you know, <laughs> it's what it's what I preach. How often? You know, it's <laughs> like every Sunday I have to preach the same kind of you know the same kind of message. You know, it's it's something that we just genuinely cannot seem to help or avoid from within. And uh, it's such a dangerous power within us that we don't even realize we're doing it, and that's what's sick about it well, you know it, if it, government's to well check against it and make that they're supposed to well, that's kind of the idea. but you know I, I I don't think that's what's ever happened uh here you know, at least yeah, so maybe maybe you're right I mean maybe this can this election cycle could change um, maybe if we all uh um the ballot or the bullet? If we don't take the ballot or the bullet. Oh, you, if you don't know.
0: register for Bernie Sanders, I'm coming to your house with my Second Amendment. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding, yeah. just kidding. Just kidding. Just You kidding. know,
1: actually, I've been getting more interested in local politics lately. I got a couple of postcards from our local assemblyman, uh, oh. which I won't mention the name. But anyway. We mentioned was,
0: him in this weeks issue.
1: Yeah. It was interesting because I've never, ever really paid attention. And- to our previous fan, that's what makes me a dangerous voter, <laughs> um, you know. But I just, you get to a certain age where suddenly it's like, oh, now I can. I've got a little more time. I can focus on some of these things, and uh, so when I, I got this this postcard from him, I'm like, why is he sending it to me? And it was a little caption from the Denmark News. He said, "Caught you in the news," and so he oh, clipped yeah. it out, and or somebody from his office. I don't know. Yeah, don't no, know he
0: it. he learned that from his senator counterpart, which I it, it works. It, it's it, a great it, thing. It,
1: it, it was a great tool because it got me into looking. Well, then I was talking to my parents about this, and I said, "Oh, it's kind of neat to see that you know somebody's actually paying attention." And they said, "Oh, here's this. It's a um, a blue book or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not like the auto blue book. But it's like the it's got all the political information of everybody." You know, in your local area, and then when it gets bigger, and then of course the whole state, and so mm-hmm. on. I was like, "Dang, this is cool! It's an amazing thing." And so I they, started, they want to stop publishing it, which or... they should not. Yeah. They should actually continue doing that. This is a great service. Was remarkable to read through this. I had no idea they did it. My dad was like, "Oh, they've been doing this for years." I'm like, well, thanks, Dad, for handing down that generous knowledge. It only took you 40 years to give it to me. They have them online. They go
0: back to, I want to say, like, state, like, 1848. Yeah, I would imagine. I think
1: that's probably why they just keep, you know, doing it cool. You know, um, so what was so fascinating to me, though, was then realizing that, you know, when when we do have a problem locally, um, that I don't need to just stop. At the village or city or whatever level, right? That you could actually talk to somebody else, yeah, and that they should realize, you know, theoretically, realistically, uh, be your advocate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whether they are or not is a different story. I don't know, but it's like it it uh,
0: certainly is your right to call them and say, like, hey, can
1: you do anything about this? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really tempted to just call this individual and say, can I just. Like get breakfast with you someday or something. Like, is that possible? No, you like, got to
0: ask them for a community center.
1: Uh, and then, well, and maybe, then, but maybe voices those maybe. conversations, you know. And I'm not always saying that they have money available for that kind of stuff, but that they might know people. Or it's like a grant program, program who know people, right? And they get you in touch with the right resources. And at a small, you know, you and I live both in a, a small uh, community, so at a small level, it's like you need that kind of advocacy. Otherwise, that is what's going to kill the local shops, the the, yeah. the rural lifestyle. Hmm. You know, we really do need, I think, to start taking advantage of these assembly, uh, which I guess they're assemblymen, right? Even if they're women, is it still assemblymen? Representative, state uh, representative. I, I, okay, but so, yeah,
0: I mean that's what it used to be, and then it's just, I mean, technically, whatever
1: the wordage is, but um, but I think it would be a good place to to start for our local communities to really. Uh, they, I mean, we need to start advocating for ourselves. We can't be the victims in all this anymore, yeah. you know. And if we continue our our local communities to think that economic boom is bringing the chains in, I think we're sadly mistaken. Yep. that is not an economic boom. That does help the economy. I mean, West
0: West Green Bay is seeing the ultimate impact of it. What is
1: that? Right. So I mean, it's it's it, there's no. Uh, I mean, you don't you're not generating, you know, livelihoods there so much as you are just offering opportunities for transients. number one, more so just because you can flip from one job to another. But, you know, when you have local businesses and people that you're supporting and, and think, I mean, that's a, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, maybe that's a place we start. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what a conversation with them looks like either. Um, I assume they're just normal people. This individual is younger than I am and ironically um, worked as, I think, like he was – supervisor maybe or something like that for one of the local towns which I know the individual who's currently the supervisor I was like yeah. and oh. so when I mentioned it to him he's like oh yeah he was my predecessor I'm like this is so cool you know I mean they're just yeah. local people gosh right now somebody's listening going this guy's the biggest dupe ever yeah no I
0: but it, it's at least from the reporter's standpoint it's it's hard to really cover Madison stuff be, or yeah state stuff because like it's so big and nebulous and it's like you have to keep so many little tabs on every single vote that they do and they take a lot like it it's so sporadic when they take them when they do it's a bunch of stuff and and so that's what sucks is like i don't know how to i mean i've invited him uh to write columns or like because he puts out like an e-newsletter or something that i used to be able to find and now i can't yeah uh and so i invite him to do that and it's like i I don't know. I want that voice in there. I want that stuff in there, but it's
1: especially if I'm not down there. Maybe you and I have to take like a road trip. We should go drive down cuz they have offices in the in the capital, don't they? Yeah. We could just like say, try to set up an appointment with them and just talk. I mean, that's yeah. what they do in DC, don't they? I mean, I hear about these groups all the time. My wife worked in for the a smoky non-profit. back rooms. Yeah, well, my <laughs> wife worked for a nonprofit for a while and they would take trips to DC to um, essentially lobby on behalf of farmers was what their big thing was, trying to lobby on behalf of egg uh, bills and so on. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I would assume you can do that with your local representatives. I've just yeah. never, ever, ever tried. And uh, But, I mean, little towns like, you know, where we live and others, I, I don't know, man, somehow we got to start being the squeaky wheel. Yeah, we
0: have to have a coalition uh, of our own.
1: Yeah, because otherwise nobody's going to listen to us, you know. I mean, you can't just stop at the... Local level, like with the the, I mean, they only have so much income and stuff that. They oh, can and deal the, with. yeah,
0: they're capped at revenue
1: limits imposed by the state. Yeah. <laughs> so if we can talk to them, you know, ah, Yeah, let's. Uh, That'd be kind of fun, though. Maybe
0: that can field be the. Trip.
1: Maybe that can be a new podcast. <laughs> field trip, the nameless and aimless field trip. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time since I've been in the capital too. Yeah, I think I went when I was a kid, and that was about it. I
0: got drunk outside of it (laughs) last spring. (laughs) Okay. Well, there you go. uh, For the Wisconsin Newspaper Association, they had their convention down there, and the hotel was right across the street from the Capitol building, and I got pretty wasted. Yeah. Well, there you go. First time in a long, long time. (laughs) I don't think I've been, like, drunk (laughs) since.
1: Uh, But There was that one night, though, that you and I spent a little time together at the local bar. Oh. I said, "I, I... I don't know. The bartender that night was—I must have said stop probably three or four times—and he just was just had this oh. creepy smile on his face every time he'd pass me another pint. Yep.
0: Oh, did that's not like feel good the next day. It's actually happened to me the other night because I—I just—I don't know. I was in the office, and usually like I'm fine with standard, just going home. But I was like, ah, I was just feeling squirrely, so I was like, I'll go down. And of course, like the bar is like pretty empty, so it's just him there, and yeah. you know. Got to talking as always, and then same thing happened. It was at least twice where it's like (laughs) – I was at that point of like, all right, I'm – I'm going to sit in my car for like uh. 20 minutes and then go home. Just
1: down about three gallons of water. and Yeah, and they
0: pour like two more. <laughs>
1: like, oh my God. That's the other thing, too. Is like I, I think at one point I was like, we just can't do this anymore. i got to get going. And he said, oh, this one's on me. And I'm like, oh, come on. Yep. <laughs> but, that you know, weird. maybe maybe bartenders need conversation partners, too. Maybe that's a part of it. I don't know. Uh, I, don't... I can't figure that out. But uh, I did not like the way I felt the next day after that. <laughs> I really, I said, I'm getting too old for that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, now when you have to go to work, do stuff.
0: Praise the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Is that like part of your job description? To praise the Lord? Yeah. No.
1: Oh. I mean, it, <laughs> it would be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. It's not part of the job description. There are some other weird things in there that are part of the job description, but definitely not praising the Lord is, is not one of them. But living a life like an example of how to be a Christian like a you know as a I don't want to say a role model but that's kind of what it is that is definitely part of the job description okay so you know I I would say um, you know so many so for so many Christians right now if they heard me talk about getting drunk they're probably just like <laughs> <laughs> They're immediately like trying to you know baptize me again or something yeah. like that and call me all sorts of weird names casting demons out. All right, you're one of these flappers aren't yeah. you but I mean it's, it's scriptures it, it, the part of the rules I'll say for preachers and, and pastors and so on is not to be drunkards meaning that it's you're not
0: they drink a lot more than down. we do yeah
1: and you're not held down by alcoholism or something like that so, so that can be debilitating and
0: I uh you know, I made a couple stops this morning before 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 setting up sure. and, and I called I told a couple people that we were gonna be uh doing this today. And oh, boy. And I asked uh I'm not gonna tell them where to find it
1: though. Uh huh. They gotta find it on their own. But
0: I asked them uh, that's you know that's the value of this podcast, is you really have to search you for it.
1: Dig. You gotta actually be looking for this thing.
0: And when you do, it's probably forty minutes until it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we're learning. We're learning. We're We've got learning. our training wheels on. Yeah. Anyway, I asked, uh, is there any question that you think I should ask? This was my favorite one because I came up with it. Oh, Lord. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh-huh. um, <laughs> is God in control of the coronavirus? Oh, oh. Is it a challenge to humanity to defeat it, or is it something like the flood where it's a check uh, on our decadence?
1: Okay. Huh. All right. Um, <laughs> yes or oh. no? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, uh, I'm never good at these like actual committed questions. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, Charles, no, God's not in control of the coronavirus. Um, Charlie, it's just one of those things that... Yeah, It would be cool if God was, I guess, in some magical, mystical kind of way, even though it's causing the death of thousands of people. But that's like saying is God in control of, um, you know, the flu, or is God in control of other things too? My questions for like affecting. So, so is the real question that you're asking: Is God in control of anything human? Yeah. Um, So there's a couple of obviously a couple of ways of looking at who God is, and. In one of the more popular approaches is that god is somehow um, making things happen and we need to figure out what the game is uh so like god knows the rules and we need to figure it out and then we need to jump in and play and if we can f- and people use code language so they'll say we need to figure out what god's will is for our lives it's a good example so is it god's will that i get the coronavirus and die right now, this often does happen. I know it sounds childish, but think about it when people have uh, debilitating diseases and so on. Uh, I was reading an article. Actually, this real-life example. I was reading an article uh, just the other day. Um, seven-year-old girl, seven or nine, anyway, had a tonsillectomy, um, died within the first minute of the surgery. That's mm. heartbreaking, right? Tonsillectomies are common. There is nothing goofy about this. Her heart just stopped one minute in and they couldn't revive her and her parents immediate response from what I was reading in the article. Um, it was God's will. And you're going, okay, <clears throat> no. Right. I mean, so God's will would not be to cause you pain and suffering. Uh, how, how do you know that? Well, that's the question though. So then for the parents, that's how you learn to make sense of something like that because you are experiencing such an extreme pain and suffering. So, Could it be God's will then that you experience that so that later on maybe you work through it and then you become stronger and all this other stuff? And then we put it in athletics terms and it suddenly becomes a sport. That's also very bizarre. What we know from Scripture, so this is where Scripture is important. So it takes it out of the philosophical area, which is where you and I are kind of right now, and we're going to move into more of the traditional uh, approach to what Scripture says. So within all of those things, God's will is very clear. Follow the Ten Commandments. It's really quite simple. Um, Jesus says it boils down to two, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things would be following God's will. So you don't have to guess about what God's will is for your life. What you choose to do with your life is up to you. Um, If you want to murder people, that is up to you. It's not a good idea, and we would say it goes against the commandments of what God has instilled as a good thing to do. So don't do it but still people choose to do it. So would God be using coronavirus to kill people? I mean, so then we have to play with the reasons to thin out humanity, to put us in check. You could say this is the rapture. Only the good ones are dying. You could say that about hurricanes. You can say that about earthquakes. And there's all sorts of religious people that come out and do say those things after large, uh, you know, earth-type events happen. Um, But even after the flood, God was very clear. You know, the the rainbow in the sky, uh, he says... I will never cause this kind of destruction. This, this, I won't kill humanity in this way. It just isn't going to be my way. So you walk through it, and then you start learning God uses instead of His own methods. Just start using armies to kill humanity. <laughs> so it's like, okay, this is weird, you know. But he's, but then humanity becomes much more destructive on its own, um, to the point that God. And that's ultimately why Jesus is so important, right? So God sends His own Son down um, to become human, and then to give His own life. Saying that death is no longer the the enemy that it was, so that even if you die, no matter what the cause is, you don't have to fear death anymore. God will still, um, in our case, it'll. It, there's a resurrection to be hoped for. Now, it, so again, it's a simple answer to. Or, I mean, the simple answer to say is God in control of the coronavirus. So, but so why have insurance at all? Why have health
0: care? what? I'm. Just, <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to be afraid of with death. It's, oh. it's a reward. it's not the barrier it used to be. yeah Jesus didn't have health care. Right. Um, why well, why even concern? You still have it? to
1: provide for your family right So there are still simple illnesses that if you can like if you can avoid death to a certain point it's helpful. but I'll give you another example in this scenario. So my own mother-in-law um, just very uh, sick with both she's got multiple types of cancer probably just a few months left before she passes on. Um, and she was struggling so bad to get insurance because she just, she's totally poor. Mm-hmm. Just entered the Medicare system um, and is trying now to, you know, she's fighting it. And of course, we're looking at her and trying to understand why, because there is no hope of overcoming this. The doctors have been very clear. This is not going to heal, right? There's no, there's no cure. We can continue treating it. Of course, the the Christian or the the spiritual person inside says, well, what if we pray? You know, what if there's a miracle of sorts? And, you know, I've been through enough cancers that I can tell you that, you know, there's a point where it gets too far even for a miracle, unless you know it's going to be something literally miraculous. Um, so at best, I've you know, people with this type of cancer, I've seen them maybe a couple of years, and those are people who are in good health. And yet she's continuing to fight it. And I don't know why, you know, because I, I can't figure out as if she's trying to hold on to her family. You know, I mean, we know that once people start taking the chemotherapy drugs and so on, I mean, it's not a good thing. Their bodies start just dissolving, right? It's not good for them. So why not just let it be? Why not just say, I've lived a good life and uh, say, uh, you know, it's time? I don't yeah. know what that – And I'm, I'm sorry. Why man, not look kinda... at it
0: as like the mere reverse of the monk simulation where it's like how can you do that how can you just give up your life you have so much to do but you're sending the message you have something to live for i'm not no i'm not saying that it'd be like she has an absence of things to live for so now she's panicking but uh maybe she's fighting for the same reasons like not giving into the things she can't control that
1: could that's the only thing i can come up with you know i think you're right on that but at the same time like i put myself in that situation i would hate to have my life cut so short but, I guess if it is, it is. I mean, what can I do about that? So, if we all, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a little different from let's say Buddhism, where you look at this life and you go, well, being a human, I had my shot, but maybe I'll come back as a hmm. turtle. Not even that. It's uh, just another, you know. Well, I'm just saying, like, if you're looking at it specifically in that type of that type of wheel, that you're going to come back as something, you know, the Christian uh, should, or even the, the 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 Jewish person should be looking at it like it's a release. That death is now just a release. Uh, And so you move on to whatever is eternal. But why, you know, for so many at the same time, you know, why would you fight it so hard? I I don't know. And maybe... This is a deep subject, I guess. I, I don't... Like, I look at movie stars, and you see how some of them, you know, they can outlive cancer pretty long. They got millions of dollars. Yep.
0: How did Magic Johnson beat AIDS?
1: And my mother in law does not have that. Yeah. So and that's why we always say, I mean, Christ is first and foremost for the poor, because they don't have that hope. They just don't. So people like Magic it's Johnson opiate
0: yeah. of the masses.
1: Well, I mean, there's a part of that, I mean, in some ways. You know, that's, you can see that part of it, right? That it has to be, it's offering, it goes back to liberation theology and all of that. It offers a sense of hope in situations that are otherwise hopeless. Mm-hmm. It really does. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but there are so many people too that just absolutely struggle with that sense of hopelessness and they'll just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and in the end they still die. It just ends up being more mortifying, you know, because of... The things they lose more and more weight or you know I mean I, I, Charlie, uh, Charlie I, I, uh, I guess the one thing I, what's running through my mind too is with the number of people as a pastor the number of people that I've buried yeah, who you know succumb to cancer and they are literally I mean they are just skeletons by the time they're breathing their last moments you know one one uh, friend of mine this, this summer who passed away in his mid-50s and I was at his uh, bedside in the last day and just you know the way I can just tell you, his eyes moving around. He couldn't even focus on anything. I mean, it, your body is just wasted. You know, you can imagine everything's shrinking. I mean, I don't know that anybody that wants to live like that, you know, it's just terrible. So, coronavirus, you know, I mean, it, the, it all goes back to how we view who God is. If God is one that has set up the stage of earth to be nothing more than his own puppet, uh, his own puppet call that puppeteering would already
0: have those such drastic and horrifying and painful
1: well that's but that's how some people see god that this is just his playground so you have oh i I apologize i was misinterpreting no no So like earth has he set it up he's set up earth to become his his stage right and he's just controlling all the movements for his own pleasure that's a bizarre you know understanding that's not anything scriptural The other philosophical way of understanding God is that God has set everything up and then just kind of taken his hands off the wheel and said, okay, this is it, you know? Yeah. So then... But... uh,
0: I guess this is where I always just ran into. Just the... So he has the power to do that. Right. But he puts in all of these factors where it's like we're on an even playing field nature-wise. Yeah. And pretty much everything but mice can kill us. And even
1: then... (laughs) They can still do it. Uh,
2: the
0: ants maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh including yeah. diseases, including and it's like even with our own civilization, it's like obviously we've been able to expand our population. Even that, we have like minor vulnerabilities. Yeah. If he set up the system, wouldn't the system be trying to self regulate? And if and if not, it and could, well, it if could he did put now. that in, then how why wouldn't that imply that we are not uh to domineer it.
1: So, I mean, it it goes, right. So it goes back to, and it, 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 so you got to walk backwards all the way to the beginning of the scriptures in which we talk about, yes, there was Adam and Eve. Okay. in in whatever we're going to say are the first humans. Right. So whatever that was, uh, but the, the, what God had established for them was a paradise. There was no death. There was nothing, but then instantly that's what's introduced to us. and, and, how you understand that to be coming into being is is part of the narrative. Okay, so let's. I just want to take the literalness out of the narrative for a moment. I'm sorry, I'm,
0: I'm used to like, family members who are literalists. So well, that's why I'm. Saying, I apologize. No, if no, I'm no being that's all right. Possible.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, take that out just for a moment, though. Take the literalness out of that and then look at it from just a, a purely human, uh, almost an anthropological understanding of who we are. That we are just. We understand that we are frail creatures. We have no control over a lot of things in our lives, including when our hearts stop beating. We have zero control of how old uh, you know, we cannot seem to surpass. And even if the scriptures say Methuselah was you know, a thousand years old when he passed away, we're not getting there. Even if we can make ourselves live past 100 we know that once we get to 110 and even in some cases close to 120 i mean those people are just nothing Mm -hmm. they're just not even living the heart for some reason just keeps pumping blood but they're not really there so there's a limitation to who human beings are and that's really what the scriptures then walk us through is that almost like that evolution of Yeah, at some point, I mean, these things, we can't make sense of them because they aren't supposed to be, like, why would this be happening to us? Why would we starve? Why would we uh, get sick and die? Why would all this stuff happen? And so there is an answer in that, but it's as you move forward, then understanding, you know, in Lent it becomes a, a mantra of sorts for us, God is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, so that even death is no longer something to be feared. You know, so coronavirus, uh, I had a parishioner at, uh, come up to me on Wednesday, after Ash Wednesday, and they wanted to um, uh, talk about how to maybe change how we you know, pass the peace <laughs> because of coronavirus. And Did I, she ask if you wash your hands before communion? Uh, no, but there's still, you know, there's like alcohol dispensers. <laughs> I don't and, think she's and, you too know, concerned. No, but there's always, you know, so like you're supposed to do that, and, and that way it shows them that you're, you know, but, uh, and we don't even drink out of the chalice anymore. You know, because Mm. people are so afraid, and I always tell them, if you could see what people do when they dip that bread into that wine, you would take drinking over dipping any day of the week. But I mean, that was kind of part of the whole communion aspect of it. Thank you. So anyway, they why uh, I left. (laughs) (laughs) But they've they've in her mind, it was really important that we maybe listen to this person and, and think about how are we helping the spread of it if we shake hands and things of that nature. And my response, you know, it probably wasn't as tactful as I needed to be, but it was just to say, if this is how I'm going to go, I'd rather shake somebody's hand than wash it clean after I do it. If
0: only you had you been know. in Wuhan two months ago.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but think about the doctor, the one that passed away. Yeah. He went back in to serve, you know, and he was he was right there at ground zero with those patients. Jesus was the same way with the lepers, uh, you know, and, and others who were ill. Um, Mother Teresa, I mean, it, it's just the list goes on and on of different examples that we have throughout human history. We know of those dangers. It's not about being protected by some magic bubble. It's just understanding that in our own frailty, we can't avoid other people and they deserve the same dignity you know, through that frailty. And so God, I would think, if God's using coronavirus to do anything, I'm just going to put this out there, it's not about making people sick and die. It's actually about showing the compassion of humanity that here's an opportunity. You've got people who are sick, who are dying. What do you do about it? Now, how do you respond? And uh, that my hope is that you know humanity will learn to just continue to love and not be afraid of each other, simply because of an illness. You know, AIDS was a huge. Remember that? I mean, as we were well, you would have been a little younger. Yeah. But it, even as we were growing up, and I mean, suddenly we were afraid to touch each other because so then, they might have AIDS.
0: But to no longer fear death, and to be comfortable in the fact of how we take care of each other and love another. Wouldn't that necessitate
1: the abolition of money? Uh, in a Christian society, yes. Yeah. So then uh, Jesus gives that example to his, his disciples. Uh, he says, sell everything and come and follow me. So they come as in completely impoverished individuals. Um, when they live together after Jesus' death, resurrection, and then he's ascended and they're off just doing their stuff, uh, it, it, over and over again they talk about how those first apostles sold everything and gave all their money to the poor that they shared possessions. So it was very socialist if you want to look at it that way. but in a Christian society, much like what you see with Amish and so on, that is money is unnecessary. yeah In a worldly society, money is vastly necessary. So then the Christian has to decide how do I do these two things? How do I live as a Christian? but on the other hand, I got to provide for my family you know so it, it's it's trying to make a living. In, you know, an earnest living as opposed to being a completely wealthy um, tyrant, mm. you know, and allowing, I'll say, I don't want to say just capitalism, that's not, but allowing wealth to overwhelm you. I mm. <laughs> well, no! not know. What's that all about?
0: Well, because did Jesus and the, the disciples, was their mindset, we either have to follow this or... Well, you we have to find the middle ground here, or no. was
1: it theirs wasn't? Uh, Judas's was. So Judas sold Jesus for silver, right? for twenty mm-hmm. I mean, that was the heartbreak of all of that. he it showed how little he actually valued Jesus. And then, of course, Judas kills himself later on, too. So he's the guilt is overpowering. but um, for the um, but for the other disciples, you know, I mean, I assume at some point, even Paul, as he's writing, mm-hmm everywhere he goes he just enters their he enters people's households they take care of him right he he comes in knowing nothing he always says except for Christ crucified he doesn't do anything else he doesn't uh, try to uh, although some say he was a tent maker he had a job on the side you know uh, and maybe that's so to pay for some of his travels i mean he had to board ships and other things in order to get to where he was going
0: why do we why does he need to go like i guess because that was me, him to me at the end point maybe the garden of eden the, the the paradise it's not i mean it's civilization entirely because that's obviously built on hierarchy and need and that consolidates and, and, and yeah. contracts resources it's not simply living in bliss and right taking care of each other and, and living off of the land in harmony right it's it's that you need to get a boat somewhere. It's that you need to have a car. You need to be able to pay electricity in order to live, because otherwise you're just thrown out. All the food is held by certain people that you can't get part of it. So then, wouldn't I mean, radical, yes, but wouldn't the I mean, the Christian, uh, uh, you know, Christian fundamentalism, I guess, or. Yeah, uh, not necessarily. I know what you mean. Yes, no. but not in the colloquial sense. Yeah, I mean, like, know, like would just be that all of this needs to go, and we need to live in the yeah. woods and be pagans, sure. be yeah. hippies, and join with the natives. And
1: that's that's a big actually, that's a big part of the movement. I mean, you'll still have people that, that that's how they see themselves. Yeah. Um, there's a, a community not too far up the road which there's a, a, a camp, you know, a Christian camp there and that's how a lot of those counselors choose to live. I oh, mean, really? think of themselves that way that this is this is truly God, you know, if we are living in the woods and just kind of living off the land um, that's how God is supposed to be found and that kind of stuff and I, I think there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people that have gotten upset with me uh, because I take a small stipend whenever there's a funeral or a wedding um, it's just part of it's a, it's a traditional part of any, any, I'll say, ceremony or ritual that you would generally provide something to the, to the pastor or the priest. And um, I've had people call me on it and say, I think this is ridiculous that you get anything at all. You're a man of the cloth. You shouldn't be receiving anything. And I said, well, this man of the cloth has to live in this world. I, I don't know what you want me to do. I mm. can't do both things. Yeah. I can't be totally impoverished and have a family, which is why the Catholic priests still don't marry. I mean, there's just, it is, it is very, very, very difficult to have a family on and try to live a, a life of, it, it's not poverty in the sense of what we think of, but it's a poverty in the spiritual sense. It's enough to live on, you know, um. So and as am I, you know, am I as poor as I should be? No, I'm by most stretch of the imagination for pastors around the world. I'm very wealthy in comparison. Well, and I wasn't even pointing at you. I was no, but pointing that at is everybody. No, but that is part of how I think it gets seen, right? It's it's the religious work of uh, what you see around us, and uh, you know. But in in the actual communal sense, I mean, if if the Christian Church was an actual community, then I would be a priest who lives at the church who, you know, uh, like the Buddhist monks, walks from house to house with a bowl Mm. and just waits for some food. And the people give that in the hopes that it gets them some merit to God. And meanwhile, the Buddhist monk lives because he's got food. You know, I mean, that's that would be, I think, how most people would envision that lifestyle. But in our in American Christianity and European, too, it's just impossible. You know, it's just not. It it just can't work and because that's, of uh, yeah well imperialism yeah i mean you can just name it we could see it with the early centuries of the christian church that was the part of the downfall of where the church started going wrong and you start seeing schisms left and right and it, it was a lot of it was theological and doctrinal but a lot of it is also uh power we can rebuild bro you know you have one pope in rome you've got another pope somewhere else and you've got you know, yeah. a lot of that in between. And then you get to the 1500s and you get a whole bunch of people in Germany going, what the hell do we even need a pope for? You know, this is ridiculous. These people aren't doing, they're not doing God's work by taking money and building cathedrals. They're taking it from the poor and they're taking it to the rich. They're Robin Hood, or you know, it's mm-hmm. it's Robin Hood in reverse, obviously. And so they, that's really what the.
0: Uh, so what you're saying is Bernie Sanders is our Martin Luther.
1: Well, he actually may very well be doesn't mean that he might be the elected person no, and, no you know, but his voice echoes a lot of what you hear in human history. you can't keep taking from the poor and giving to the rich and expect society to work. It's just not going to happen yeah. it'll only work for those few rich that's that's a voice that's been echoed for I mean I'm sure it at this just keeps happening yeah <laughs> I mean I, that's Jesus was a big part of that movement before him there were prophets that were saying the same thing. Um, I mean, most worldly religions, that's at the core, that's at the core message. You cannot keep keeping, you can't keep poor people poor and expect good things to happen. You know, so every warning, especially in Christianity, is always against the rich. Mm. You know now does does that mean that I don't have rich people in my parish? I have rich people in the parish.
0: I say like that does not translate to uh, how it
1: is practiced or messaged or reached to at all. But I can say that those people who are wealthy are also some of my more generous and more humble. You know now are there other rich people who are not generous and humble? Yep, I have those too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my hope is that they'll, you know, I mean, come to terms and understand what needs to happen in their lives. Do you feel uh, so. like like internet and and Just the constant, uh, I
0: don't know, the the, the availability of entertainment. Do you think that that makes, uh, for the people who are not rich, who are poor, does you think that makes it like the idea of
1: going and volunteering and being involved less enticing? I do, yeah. I I actually think, you know, you talked about religion being the opiate of the masses. I think social media is the opiate, the current opiate. I think it's keeping people... um, yeah, I think it's just keeping people poor. Mm. That sounds weird to say, but... Just anesthetized? I, I don't know how to prove... Right, I don't know how to prove that, but I, I absolutely think that it is. It's is it's generating just almost like a numbness, like you just said, or some dopamine, kind of an apathy. Dopamine, 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 yeah. dopamine. You know, and... and uh, no, because you're right. You're right. Because Ap- uh, apathy is not the right word, because even that is a result of something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, it, but it is like a... It's like a dope. Yeah. Uh, so... It's, in religion, I, you know, I, I had an opportunity, obviously, to preach on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, and uh, it, it, Ash Wednesday, Lent is actually my favorite time within the church year. Really? Yeah. Primarily because, though, it is, I think, just underrated in so many ways for most people. It's not a very, it's a heightened spiritual time, but a lot of times for the wrong reasons. But if we take Lent seriously, you know, I, I kept reading news article after news article that would say, well, what are you giving up for Lent? And then, you know, even my own, you know, church body said, you know, give up plastic for Lent. And then somebody snidely, which I thought was awesome, they put in there and said, yeah, I hope all those millennials are giving up their phones for Lent. And if that's the case, and I thought, good point. I mean, um, idea, Yeah, yeah, make that an event. Right? I mean, well, but I'm just saying, like, if you can't say give up plastic and then, you know, you know, I've got plastic everywhere. So it's not just straws that are the issue. It's all this stuff is the issue.
0: Well, but I think even just... Like, for the thing, if, if you give a password, give it your phone. Like, just looking for alternatives and, like,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah, this is possible. Well, so then that's the idea, though. So a lot of times that's what we fail at is we, we instruct people to do this simple thing. And then we tell them, well, it's only for 40 days. So, like, it's some kind of, you can do this. And then we don't really help them replace it with anything. Because then it's just a reward once right. they get there. So then they get to the end and they go, oh, thank God, I can get back on Facebook or I can get back on Instagram. I, I miss Coke Talk TikTok Coker. or whatever. and you know, I only oh, had seven cokes. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, and they can do-, 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 do all this stuff. But, again, I'm, I'm going to. You know, To break it down, so Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, that's what Lent is mimicking. In that time frame, he's being tempted. So he has three major temptations dealing with world power and, and self-sustenance and things like that. He moves past all those temptations comes out of the wilderness and doesn't then go, oh I did it. Now <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna turn every rock into bread. Watch me. You know? He <laughs> now I'm gonna rule the world. <laughs> he doesn't do any of that. Instead, he says, This is how you need to live your life. Mm-hmm. So he shows after Lent, this is what we need to do. And so much of America, for the love of God, has gone, well, I'm gonna give up, you know, binge watching whatever on Netflix for 40 days. What a dumb thing! I'm sorry. I mean, your unless, religion doesn't mean anything to you, right? I mean, that's such a surface level commitment. So, I mean, Christ gives up. If, if we're serious about this, he gives <laughs> up his whole life, right? And we're talking about giving up Netflix. Like, oh my god! Not
0: not just Netflix, but only one only thing one on, Netflix. on Netflix
1: or something. So, uh, there's got to be something deeper yeah, in people uh, that goes. You know, it's gotta it's gotta swim below that level. But it doesn't. yeah you know, did, so much of American Christianity stays right at the surface. Has it
0: always been that way uh, in your
1: experience? American Christianity in your high has, school career? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think American Christianity it has, and that's where I, I really do rail against all that Bethel Hillsong, all those mega churches that are popping up all over. They are so surface level there is nothing to that kind of spirituality that can help you really dig and actually be committed to something, you know actually be disciplined. Um, unless they merge it with the state and call for a fascist takeover, that could also happen you never you know. know it's coming but the, the one thing i will always say in a very positive light for the catholic church is that they've held on to deeply that sense of lifelong discipline that this is not just a 40-day journey but it's a 40-day time of focus mm. so that you can kind of ramp up it's intentional in these 40 days and then you know that's to why we started sort of. off right and then we started off again the next year with that confession i didn't do what i thought i wanted you know that's but so all, let's
0: do it again it's like uh first you get a dry run at like a new year's
1: resolution yeah. actually it's a good way of ta- at least i think that'd be a good way of talking about it somebody else would probably disagree but i think it is it's like a dry run you have a lot of support from because you're all going through it yeah. together 40 days i mean and even science has proven that not to say that that's why they do 40 days but it that habits can be broken uh you know within how, how long is it wait Habits are made within seven days and broken after twenty one or something like that. So really, it is a nice long time that you can get through something. Mm -hmm. Um, And and fasting, the idea that we're just you know fasting from sugar, come on. I mean, we've got to get smarter than this. Uh, That's just stupid. So Lent. Lent is really the that. Thing.
0: Really, is the American thing
1: to do though. It, like, it is. Well, I don't. I only cut though. out carbs, but well, I mean, I just don't understand that. So, Lent is supposed to be a time of charitable giving, mm-hmm. but we've moved that to Christmas. So, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas is all. <laughs> yeah, we give everything to the corporations, and we give it all to the corporations, <laughs> and then we give it to our children in the way of gifts. And then Lent is supposed to be a time where you help the poor. This is supposed to be the most charitable time where you, so even as a parish, all of our extra offerings that we receive on, on Wednesday nights, we just give that all away because that's the intent is to, to learn how to be more sacrificial in our giving. And, uh, you know, I, I, that's why I love Lent because for me it helps to refocus, get back to basics, um, see where I've, I've maybe erred throughout the year, and had issues, um, I mean, even talking with you, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you start to uncover different things. But a lot of people, Lent is a, I think for, especially like for some of the bigger churches that I've seen lately, you know, they're just starting to pick up on Ash Wednesday. And this lady came into church the other day. She had a little, uh, it was like a little flyer. and said, like, get your Ash in church. Uh, <laughs> gross <laughs> that's so nasty i'm sitting there and i'm like so I, I i and she's like isn't that funny and i went no I, I,
2: <laughs> okay but pastor pastor Girl has I, to say I.
1: well you know that is that's humorous i guess i can see what they're saying and all that but of course i'm thinking but what a dumb thing i mean you're you're negating what's happening here the, the promise is that from dust you've come to dust you shall return stop holding on to your earthly possessions because guess what you can't take it with you. Yeah. That's the promise. Guess what? They wouldn't even let you Ash in with Wednesday. it. It's that bad. That's right. So that's the promise of Ash Wednesday. And what these other churches are doing is like it just all becomes this, oh, you know, we should, uh, we should learn how to be with Jesus more. And yeah, you should, but you've got to also understand why or how or, you know, the base level of it. Yeah. Do you even know yourself much less? And the other one that I see that uh, drives me crazy, and I saw an article on this again this year. It was a local uh, article on uh, drive-by ashes. So you have you have church priests and deacons standing outside, and as people pull up, they'll put the sign of the cross on their foreheads. You should have KGB's church just on the other <laughs> side of the block. It's like that's what you get. <laughs> well, so then you know they're they're interviewing some of these attendees. They call them, and one of them was like, "Well, it's just so convenient." And right there, I wanted to just yep, rip the paper yep. and say, so then you've missed the whole point of what Lent is. If it's about convenience, you might as well just stop. Just stop being a yeah. Christian because I can guarantee you Jesus giving his life was not convenient. There was no Well, thing. but it's different cultures. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you'll get it too. That's what you'll get is that kind of answer. But you and I know, and, and whether you believe or not, it, 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 there's still a historical value to understanding that when anyone gives their life, that is not convenient. And when they say yeah, yeah. follow in my footsteps, he's not saying, you know, please uh, let's go have lunch together. He's saying you're going to lose your life too if you do this the right way. In some ways, that's figurative to just simply mean if you give away all your possessions and so on, you'll be nothing to this world. You'll lose your life, but that's the victory. You'll gain it in the long run. So that's so they say it's convenient. That was like, well, that's dumb. Then the other thing was the uh, I think the deacon said. Well, we do this because it adds such a personal touch to how we reach people. How? Then I can, well, I can put the ashes on them, and then I can pray for them right in their car. And then I can
0: smell their air freshener. And,
1: and, and I said, as they a They don't pastor, even have to turn the music off. As a pastor who has children and young adults and, and old adults, so five generations of people coming to me on that Wednesday night and kneeling at a rail and me telling them, you are dust and a dust, and, and within one or two years, some of these I'll be burying. I know this, mm-hmm. so that's it. Doesn't get more intimate than that. I have no idea what these people are talking yeah, about. Yeah, but do they have heated seats? Oh, for God's sake, I, I mean, where they kneel down, is that like leather? Or... Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just turn the switch on. You can have a higher low <laughs> setting and a vibration if you need it, too. sunroof. Yeah, oh my, I mean, no, that, that's that's silly though. These yeah, are, these are just bizarre trends that we've started in America, thinking that we're trying to be relevant. And what we're doing as a church in particular is we're making ourselves
0: less relevant. You're, you're, c- you're completely betraying the message exactly, of it. Exactly,
1: because if you become culturally appropriate rather than countercultural, then you'll just blend into the background. You'll, you'll become white noise mm-hmm. for what's going on. What you need to be, or at least what I try to have us be in particular and, and what I've been trained to think is the right way, is to just be true to who Jesus is calling us to be. We are disciples. We give our lives. Um, it's not easy and we fail a lot, but we keep trying and we do it together, you know? But this this fake, uh, I'll, I'll keep calling it fake Christianity, yeah. I, it's just gross. I hate it. It makes me sick. And yet there are other churches that are making millions.
0: Yeah, that's got to feel like such a spit in the oh, face. It's a
1: kick in the nuts, is what it is. It's an absolute kick in the nuts. So it's, like, hey, pastor, you're doing a lot, but uh, guess what? These guys over here wear cool jeans. They have a and, drive-through. <laughs> yeah, they have a drive-through. They get glitter ashes. Oh my god, I don't even get started on that either. But anyway, wait, wait, wait. glitter ashes for real? Oh sure. I thought you were
0: being goofy. No,
1: that's the that's the symbolic ash when you stand in solidarity with an LGBTQ. Uh, ah!
0: <laughs> like they're people. <laughs> Oh. So is there gray for old people and then black for black people? I guess.
1: <laughs> Golly. You know, I mean, it's oh! just. It's, but that's what's happening in our, our especially progressive or liberal form of Christianity. That a lot of this stuff is, they're so apt to kind of cling to what's going on that they're forgetting what the tradition actually means. They're trying
0: to do like a social media marketing campaign.
1: Yep. That's exactly what it is. They're trying to keep their church doors open. their hashtag. Yep. That's exactly I, it, and and I would just as soon close my church doors, knowing that I had done it faithfully. Yeah, then than be a Judas and sacrifice Judas, Judas that's for, right. and and just hope Jesus is okay with me doing that. Uh, he understands ashes. my heart, you know. And Jesus wouldn't have used ashes anyway. I mean, it's not like something they did, but sackcloth and ashes were very common as a form of repentance. So that's the idea. You start with that. But the baptismal promise, and again, this is where most churches lose it because they're not very liturgical anyway, but they, they the baptismal promise at the end of Lent is the new life in Jesus with Easter. That's why you get you gotta yeah. you gotta you know connect these two dots. They just don't do it. They're they're horrible at so it. So do you think
0: like maybe is that the failure of the church of the churches themselves yep. to actually explain what their scriptures mean as opposed to just going through the
1: motions and, like, everyone gets it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a failure of, I think, Christianity as a whole in many ways uh, to just be what we were supposed to be. Or, you know, I, I don't know how to say that. But, you know, so when everybody decided that if, if I become cool and if I play electric guitar in church and it'll draw in people <laughs> – when they decided that that was the smart thing to do, uh, they really—that was the first failure. Have a just teen study Bible home. with a skateboarder in the front. That's right. It just started going downhill from there. I, I'll be the first to say yeah. I am not the most charismatic individual. I know this for a fact. I'm not the best preacher. I—I—I'm uh, not the best youth worker, uh, but I'm faithful, and—and and that's all that God has called me to be. Uh, it's all God calls anybody to be. So, you know, if—if if people don't come to church because they go, well. I don't like the way he doesn't use the screen. Like, he puts it up, but he just puts up, like, one image on the screen, and I'd really like it if he did more with that. i just kind of wave my hand and go, see ya. Yeah. That is not, I am not interested in dealing with that in my flock whatsoever. But if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, Pastor, I really didn't understand why we did what we did, let's sit down and talk. You know, let's let's figure this out, because maybe it doesn't mean anything to them, and maybe they're looking for that. I That's okay. But this idea that I have to, corral myself to fit into everybody else's mold yeah. of what they want for entertainment yeah not it's just not going to happen it's not the way the church was called to be no
0: it just diminishes the entire position
1: but it makes other churches really big so like, like i said it's you i'd know, say like that's the, like it's the difference between uh
0: al sharp what al sharpton does right now and the amount of money he has in the size of his house must be but he's just completely useless and meaningless. Just I'll fit in wherever you yeah, want me. And yeah. Malcolm X, um, going all across the country with huge crowds, but he died a poor man.
1: Yeah, which I would much sooner prefer. You yeah, know, I, I on a personal level, you know. And I you I, are the
0: white Malcolm I, X.
1: I try to, yeah, not quite. But I try to balance. You know, like I said, I have a family, so I have to try to take care of them too. And and and, uh, you know, but I. I pulled out of our own, you know, we have a big church body, like our our pension plan and all that. I pulled out of that because it was gross to me. It was like it it would have cost my congregation over $30,000 to maintain my health insurance and all these other things. And I said, this is insane to me. You know, they can't afford that. Mm -hmm. How can you expect them to do that? So I just did it. I cobbled something together on my own. Am I getting the best retirement plan? Am I getting the, no, but okay, I'll, I'll figure it out when I get there. I don't know. So anyway, Charles, I hate to do this, but uh, Yeah, dude. no, we got to we eat- got to cut it off here,
0: so All right. Well, I have the perfect way to Man,
1: by the way, thank you for uh getting me all I, I, I didn't expect those kinds of questions.
0: You know, I uh one of the things I realized and I guess I didn't do this intentionally. I just I kind of thought that the coronavirus would be just kind of a, a goofy
1: yeah. question. Yeah. But um uh, yeah, and you took it really seriously. Is
0: that we never uh yeah, <laughs> at, at the first one we kind of talked a little bit about religion, but it's like we never actually dive into like Anything that, like, you have an actual strength. I'm not saying you don't have strength. then talking about wow. the other things. Thanks, but, but, you know, like, I remember that was one of the original uh, aspects why I thought we'd be a good team is because yeah. I'm a skeptic. And so well, I'm, and, uh, I'm and, glad we were able to get to that point. And I
1: hope, you know, and for anybody that's ever listening, I, I always – the figurative versus literal stuff that I talk about, I, I, uh, I try to do that as a balance to help people see that there's two sides to this coin – You know, when we talk about scripture in particular, and that if you take it only one way, you lose the value of the other side, Mm -hmm. and that that goes on both ways. So if you take it only figuratively, then you lose the literalness, what the importance of what is trying to be said, and if you take it too literally, then you lose the other effort of what's trying to be said in the story. Yeah,
0: and I, I mean, I would say like especially the literal part, like that's where you can engage with other people who don't like that's that's where Let's, people like myself would love to assist in the mission. It's yeah. just when it's literal or nothing else. It's six days T Rexes had saddles. <laughs> um I've been to the creationist museum. Like they have that. It was terrifying. Oh I gotta go. We'll talk about that another time. I know but, but, I gotta um, go. <laughs> I gotta but that. no, I would oh. uh anyway. It, yeah. this has been a pleasure. Yeah. And, so uh, what's
1: the sign off today?
0: Did you lose it already? Nope, nope, nope. Just give me a second. I'll remember. I'll remember. Wait. Wait. Damn it. Our sign-off has not happened yet. Still waiting for it. Alright, alright, alright.
1: Starry, starry night. Ah. Paint your palette blue and gray. <laughs>
0: Look out on a summer's day. Well, Andy, this has been another wonderful episode. This, yeah. yeah. Nameless and nameless.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm
0: happy that we have Shadows so few viewers the or <laughs> listeners <laughs> that we will not get caught on the copyright. But You <laughs> know you what?
1: This. And we have a good time doing it. So <laughs> that's what's important. I uh,
0: look forward to, to doing more, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And to you, the listeners, <laughs> you can win. 500 free gelatin Bibles. Oh, don't. Alright. Yeah. They don't make those. That's no, sacrilegious? That I don't think so. Could it's... you make like gelatin communion wafers? No, that still seems weird. What about CBD oh, wafers? Stop. Come Stop. on. Stop. You gotta get with the time.
1: We
2: gotta go. Alright, bye
0: folks. <laughs>